South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. And it is a beautiful Saturday morning out there. Oh, gosh, it's just been a good week. Just about everybody got some good rains this week. Uh, you know, we've been in this pattern of where the haves and the have-nots. <laughs> and we always seem to be in the have-not portion, but... Uh, this past week uh, looked like just pretty much the whole area got really good rain, some more than others, but uh, I think across the board, virtually everybody within uh, our 99-county uh, listening area got at least an inch of rain, some people a lot more than that. And I know a lot of you all are listening from further away than just our, our direct signal, but uh, anyway, it really, really does look like spring. Took a Took a drive a little ways up north earlier this week, and the wildflowers are still just beautiful when you get up to the northern edge of the hill country. And, uh, gosh, great weather for gardening. The rains just make everything so much better. We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, Don tells me we've pretty much got open phones this morning, so if you'd like to get a question in early without having a long wait, you know the number, 210-599-5555. 210-599-5555, and we'll get you on quickly. This is what I call the smart people's half hour because I don't have to do a commercial break until 6 o'clock, which uh, means we don't have to rush anything, and we have time if you've got a sort of an in-depth question or something you want a, a, a lot of information about. It's, uh, it's just a great time to dial 210-599-5555. What's happening out there in the world of supplies? Well, we're starting to see more and more Warm weather bedding plants available. Not huge quantities yet, but I tell you what, if you haven't looked at some of the new vincas, as people call them periwinkles out there, there are some incredible new, brilliant colors out there. Some of them are bigger than ever. Just the uh, plain old white on white. Golly, I think those things are about a quarter of an inch larger than I've ever seen. Absolutely gorgeous plants. And, you know, we're talking now things are going to bloom all the way up until freezing weather this fall. So uh, uh, there's still some other, you know, pretty things that uh, will will go up till the hot, hot part of the summer. Petunias and things like that are just absolutely spectacular right now. But it's unrealistic to think that they're going to last beyond uh, our typical July weather. But things like your pentas, things like your periwinkles, things like marigolds, if they're cared for properly, those are things that you can pretty much count on to uh, to give you color all summer long. And only problem is they just don't do very much sitting there in pots. They need to come out of the pots and get into your landscape. So anyway, it's a great weekend to get out. Soils are pretty moist, but uh, uh, really not at all bad to planting. Did some planting earlier this week myself. And I was really kind of surprised and uh, very pleased that the soil was moist just about as deep as I was digging, which was a good six or eight inches down. So that's a very good thing. And, of course, uh, getting pretty close to time. In fact, I guess I'll say that you probably, in about another week or so, I'm, I'm going to hold off just a little bit, but uh, probably okay even to plant okra, which is one of the real hot weather crops. Certainly time now to get your peppers in. Tomatoes, uh, you're really pushing it if you're planting big-fruited tomatoes, but hopefully the nights will stay cool a little bit longer. But, of course, cherry tomatoes, never a bad time to plant those those varieties because they don't stop producing just because the nights get hot. They'll continue to give you good production all summer long. 
You know, the Sun Golds, the Sweet 100s, the Juliets, just some of the most productive tomatoes you would ever plant. If you don't have them in the ground, get some in the ground soon. Still getting a lot of questions about beans and squash and cucumbers and all of those things. Uh, still plenty of time to plant. Now, who knows what the summer's going to be if we're going to get another intensely hot summer like we had last summer that's going to limit a little bit, uh, you know, how long things stay productive. But if we go back to having a more typical, and I never use the word normal when I talk about weather, but a more typical summer, then, uh, golly, you know, it's just uh, you shouldn't have to go to the grocery store for vegetables very often because it is so easy to grow things like green beans and cucumbers and squash and uh, pretty much all of your other warm weather things. It'll be time very shortly to start actually digging your potatoes. Certainly if you've got uh, especially red-skinned potatoes in right now, you can be kind of probing around, probing around the base and taking out some of those little golf ball-sized beauties to use as new potatoes. Uh, if you're passing up those, you are, you're sure missing one of the treats from the garden, but Anyway, lots to do, lots of things to do, and uh, let me see. No, nobody's still calling. Uh, grab a line, 210-599-5555. Um, other thing I wanted to mention was about fertilizer. You know, there are a lot of folks out there still putting off, putting your fertilizer on, and uh, this is a time of year that is just critically important that you make sure your plants have the nutrition they need. Hot weather is right around the corner, and proper nutrition helps the plants to survive the heat just as well as it does helps them to provide, survive the cold in the fall. So basically everything in the landscape could use a dose of fertilizer. It's easy nowadays. We've got so many good dry granular organic products, easy to put out. I think especially of Medina's new Grow and Green. Now, I love the old Grow and Green, but this new one is one of the most uh, I guess you might say uniformly pelletized fertilizers I've ever seen. It really goes through the spreader easily. And, of course, the other thing about the new one is that it has no manure, so it has no odor to it. But uh, uh, just stay organic with what you put out. If you're putting out the synthetic chemical stuff, you're just looking for problems. You're going to be encouraging the weeds. You're going to be burning the organic material out of the soil. You don't want to do any of those things, so stay with a good organic product. Whether it's the Medina products we talk about, whether it's the Nature's Creation products that we talk about, whether it's uh, good products from Maestro, yes, they are still around and still making Texas tea and Rose Glow and all the fine fertilizers that they have made for a lot of years. Um, Espoma is out there making good products. Uh, I just could go on and on and on, but there's just no reason to go buy these things that have herbicides mixed in and insecticides mixed in. They're just not not things you need to expose yourself or your pets to. If you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for the dogs and cats because realize that those guys are running around out on your lawn with bare feet all the time. And a lot of these, especially the herbicides, are taken up through the pads and are known cancer causers. And uh, I don't know, I like my pets uh, better than I like a lot of people out there, so we just don't want to uh, don't want to expose them to uh, uh, the things that are in a lot of these. Uh, I call them box store fertilizers, but unfortunately, there's still some some people parading as nurserymen who are selling those things as well. In my opinion, it's uh, kind of a big mistake. Um, 
people who are putting out pre-emergent herbicides, you're getting a little bit late. Most everything that's going to sprout in the way of warm weather weeds has already sprouted, and that's what the name pre-emergent means. It means they have to go on the ground before the weed seeds sprout, before the weed actually emerges. So put them on too late, uh, uh, you're not going to get the results you're looking for. Now, some things like the natural one, we recommend the corn gluten meal. You're still going to get benefit because corn gluten meal is pretty high in nitrogen, and uh, it will work as a fertilizer. So uh, um, not a bad time at all to, uh, uh, if you're going to try putting, you know, additional uh, things out. Like I say, you're getting a little way too late to get much effect from uh, the pre-emergence. But if you're going to use one, make sure it's a corn gluten meal so you do get at least the benefit of uh of the nutrient in there, the higher nitrogen that's in there. All right, Don tells me we got Javier and Jan waiting to talk, so let's just take some phone calls at this point. Good morning, Javier. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Good, good morning, uh, sir. A couple of quick, quick, quick uh, questions. Uh, do you know even from Costa Rica if you can if we're able to bring uh, medicinal plants from from there or or not? You'd need to check with the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Typically, you can bring plants into the country if they are from, you know, if they are inspected and if they are from uh, a certified nursery uh, that wants to ship them. They do have to be inspected, but uh, USDA has provisions for that. Now, I'll tell you, sometimes they totally mess up. Sometimes they wind up you know, killing the plants in the process of inspecting them. But um, uh, it's it's not legal for somebody to simply mail you something from Costa Rica or anywhere else uh, outside of uh, the United States. But uh, if, if you follow the process and send it through one of the uh, inspection stations, yes, you can bring plants in from outside the country. Uh, I'm just wondering, is there a high cost for that? So-called inspection? No, I don't think there's any cost associated with it at all. Um, okay. It, it's uh, I, the and, and you know we used to bring in orchids from outside the country, so I don't know. Haven't done that in a few years, so I don't know how much the laws have changed. But I can tell you, in their quote inspection process, if they even see a hint of what they think is an insect or something like that, they're gonna douse it with something that may wind up killing the plant so i would be reluctant to uh uh to bring in a lot of things through the mail now if you happen to be visiting down there and as long as you declare it and have it inspected at the airport you can you can carry things back with you if you have the good fortune to get to go down to that beautiful part of the world i've I've not been there but have many friends who have been and uh, but you can, like you say, if you uh, if you get the little, uh, I think they call it a phytosanitary certificate or something like that, and and do you know go through the ag inspection at whatever port you come into, you can you can legally bring things back. I see. And you can legally bring legal things. products back. I guess I'll put it that way. <laughs> There's some things that is not legal to bring into the country in any way, form, or fashion, but we won't go down that road right now. I'm sure that's not what you're interested in. Right. The the second question is, what is that saw that you used to recommend, uh, uh, that you used to say it's quite easily 
handled uh, the for you know to cut branches? Um, I use a um, a saw by Steel S T I H L the lithium ion battery powered saw, but it's as powerful as my gas chainsaws ever ever were. And I've cut I've cut logs up to eighteen inches in diameter with that, but. Um, uh, there's some other good brands out there. I just happen to be a big fan of steel equipment because I think it's the best on the market. Um, I know Fanex is carrying the Ego, E-G-O, Ego line, and I've had a lot of people tell me they were pleased with that one. But uh, um, my favorite is still the, is still, uh, the steel company, S-T-I-H-L. I guess you could get that at the Home Depot, huh? No, sir. I think you can get it at Northern Tools, but... Um, for the most part, steel equipment, they won't let you be a steel dealer unless you service, you know, your equipment as well. And that's the problem with Home Depot and Lowe's and most of the other box stores. If you get something from them and you have a problem, they just shrug their heads and say, well, that's your problem. We don't do anything about it. You can get with the manufacturer. Most anywhere that sells steel products, they have to be able to offer you service uh, if you ever do have a problem. And, you you know... I, I can't say I've ever, I, I can absolutely say I've never had to take any of my steel equipment back to the dealer, but at least I know where to go uh, if I do have a problem. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you much, Bob. Well, listen, I really appreciate the call this morning, Javier. You get out and uh, have a wonderful weekend. It's a beautiful morning out there. I can sure tell you that. Thank you. Likewise, Bob. Thank you, sir. Okay. Goodbye. All right, uh, Jan is next in line. Good morning, Jan. Morning, Bob. Good morning. I was, uh, I was gifted a beautiful hydrangea. Uh-huh. And um, it didn't have a tag to say which kind it is, but I think it might be the mop head hydrangea. Sure. Okay. That, what color? Well, it's um, it has mostly bluish purple, and then it has uh-huh. one pink bloom. It has okay. about five jan- Blues. Yeah, it's they are spectacular. Um, it's not going to hold that bluish color in our soils. It's going to revert more to a pink. But um, they they can be a little challenging to grow. But uh, as long as you know a couple of basics, you can grow them. Um, the three secrets are shady spot, really good soil, and copious amounts of water. Hydrangeas are one of the thirstiest plants uh, you could ever grow. You're never going to see them on a <laughs> on a low water use plant list, but uh, yeah. they are spectacular. They, they're never going to look like they do in San Francisco or in the cooler climates, but uh, uh, my advice to you would be enjoy it as a pop plant as long as the blooms are attractive, and then if you want to you know, keep on growing it, find a shady space outside Mix a large amount of compost in with the soil or, you know, practically replace the soil with compost. And so long as you can keep it watered, it will grow for you. Um, Again, most of these florist varieties are programmed, you know, to bloom just once. It may be next spring before you have more flowers on them. If you say, I just really love this plant and I want to go out and buy some more for myself, there is a new, a new as in about three years ago they were introduced, group of hydrangeas which are called Endless Summer. And these go on blooming, you know, 
pretty much off and on through the whole summer. There's a white, there's a pink. Like I say, the blues just don't do well in our highly alkaline soil as far as colors. But uh, if you want to grow that big old mop-headed hydrangea, that's the variety that I would recommend if you're going to buy any more. Now, if you want the easiest hydrangea, there are some that they call lace cap hydrangeas. They, they have the same big flower head, but the blooms don't all open at the same time. They open sequentially. You're going to have a bunch of blooms open today, and then tomorrow they're going to be fading, and there are going to be other blooms opening. Uh, but those are typically called oak leaf hydrangeas, and they actually do fairly well here in a shady spot. But the uh, ornamental hydrangeas like you got, enjoy them while they're beautiful and realize you're never going to look quite that good again. But if they right. have sentimental value, if you want to keep on growing them, you certainly can. Yeah, I, re I was reading it said it probably could take morning sun in the south. And it also said to water it every day when you first plant it. Well, you're probably going to you're going to be watering it pretty much every day, maybe even twice a day when you first plant it. And a little morning sun is fine, but boy, after 10 o'clock, I'd sure I'd sure want to have it in some shade. It's it's fine this time of year. This time of year they'll take, you know, pretty much the sun all day long, but when July gets here, uh they decide they're sorry they got shipped to Texas. <laughs> there uh <laughs> this is a pretty big one too. I I'm going to say the pot is a gallon, um, well, I don't know how big it is, but it's a big plant. Yeah. Well, they are, they're I'll... absolutely beautiful. They've been kind of traditional gifts for both Easter and Mother's Day for a long time. And uh, uh, many people just enjoy them while they're in bloom and then give them to somebody else to try to take care of. But uh, if you want to, if you want to try to grow them, you can, but it's kind of like a poinsettia, you you have to realize that you can grow them, you can get them to bloom again, but they're never going to look quite as good as they did coming from that professional grower that has the perfect greenhouse and the absolute perfect conditions to bring it into bloom. Uh, that word just is uh, doesn't describe Texas growing conditions. We we have very, very little perfect weather for growing a lot of different things, and hydrangeas are certainly the ones that challenge us. They certainly can be grown and they are absolutely beautiful, but uh, uh, like I say, they're never going to look as good as they did when they came from that professional grower's greenhouse. Okay. I had uh, talked to you months back about um, a plant I have. It was here at the house already. Oh, there uh -huh. was a couple of ginormous bushes, and it looks like a four-petal um, rose bloom, uh -huh. and they come and then they turn yellow. And I think right. you told me it was a melibus? Mutabilis. Um, kind of like uh, the, from the word mutate. But uh, the, the most common name for it is butterfly rose. Botanically is Rosa chinensis mutabilis, if I remember right. But uh, that's where it gets its name because the blooms do change colors over a three-day period. And these things get, you know, absolutely enormous. Enormous or ginormous or whatever you want to call them. Oh, yeah. One of but, them is about 10 feet tall and 12 foot wide or something oh, yeah. big. Yeah. And because the blooms are at different stages of development, it looks like there are a bunch of different flower colors on the same plant. And from a distance, I guess it reminded somebody of a whole swarm of butterflies on the plant. So hence the common name butterfly rose. Okay. Yeah. yeah we've been trying to look it up because. Evidently, you got this, the 
the sound of the board wrong, so we couldn't find it. Right. And, uh, well, uh, again, butterfly rose should uh, uh, should help you find it if you want the botanical name. Uh, the genus is Rosa, R-O-S-A, and uh, the species is well, actually, it's uh, two words: chinensis, meaning came from China, C-H-I-N-E-N-S-I-S. And then the final word is mutabilis, M-U-T-A-B-I-L-I-S. And that'll get you exactly where you want to go, but I think if you Google butterfly rose, you'll probably find it okay. Right. There was another plant. I'm trying to think of the name. I was going to ask you if it if it could take R full sun. Um, it has kind of leaves like a lily, but they're skinny, and it makes a, a little bloom that's like a you know, roundish, and they come in mostly lavender, but I think they also come in white. Um, what is its name? Oh, it narrows it down only to about 10,000 plants. They're, uh, they're, they, yeah, the, the, it sounds like one they call Mexican petunia. Uh, there's a compact one and a taller one. Uh, there's also a pink form. Most common is that kind of lavender purple, and yes, they will tolerate uh, our full Texas sun without any problem. Uh, the little short one they call uh, Katie Ruelia. The bigger tall one they just call Standard. But uh, uh, it's a good plant. It, it tends to grow so well it almost becomes a weed sometime. But uh, uh, if you're looking for something that, that is easy to grow, then it would certainly qualify. Right. Um, I'm sure that's not it. I know the name of it. I just can't. And it's kind of a, once you learn to say the word, you kind of like it. <laughs> Uh, probably not something as common as an oleander. Um, no, no is, oleander. Uh, there's the uh, the big old crinum lily, um, which uh, has um, white flowers. There, there are many different forms of crinums. The most common one uh, they call Peruvian daffodil. Its, it's botanical name is Hymenocallis, but it has a big, broad, lily-like leaf and produces a uh, you know, beautiful, kind of unusual white flowers on a fairly tall bloom stalk. Um, they're agapanthus. Is that a That's possibility? Oh, okay. Yeah. Agapanthus, yes. They will take the hot sun, and they they need the sun if they're going to bloom well here. They don't move them very suddenly from a shady area to a real sunny area. But if they get used to it, they will do fine in our Texas sun and... Uh, um, uh, that's what it takes to get them to really bloom well. A lot of people look at them and say they look so delicate that they probably wouldn't grow in the sun. But uh, And they will grow in the shade. They just won't bloom well. But no, Agapanthus, there's a blue form, a white form, a real dark purple form. Uh, there's a standard form that grows about, bloom spikes will be six or seven feet tall. Most more commonly are the semi-dwarf forms. A blue one is called Peter Pan. Uh, they get to about 18 inches, and again, they don't have a long blooming period, but they are spectacular while they're in bloom. They are, yeah. I read that it could take full sun, and I'm like, well, does that mean Texas full sun? Uh, yes, they will take Texas full sun, but when they first come to you, they've probably been grown in a shadier area, so let them get used to that hot sun kind of gradually, you know, you might be able to take the full sun, but if you went out on the beach the first day of spring, you're going to roast. you got to get used yeah. to it a little bit at a time, and your agapanthus are going to be the same way. Okay. Are they a bulb under, underneath there? Um, they, 
yes, they you would call them a bulb. It's more like a tuber, really, but uh, it, it is uh, bulb-like, I'll at least put it that way. Right. wonder if you can buy some of those bulbs anywhere. I haven't really seen them offered that way. They, um, they're, they don't. You know, most bulbs go through a true dormant period where they lose all their leaves and all their flowers and go into a resting state. Agapanthus don't usually do that. They are pretty much evergreen. They pretty much go grow year-round. So there's not really a good time for the growers to dig them and sell them as dry bulbs because they they want to be, you know, they want to be pretty much growing throughout the year. So uh, I, I doubt very much you're going to find them as a dry bulb. I'm not sure they would do well if you did. Okay. And plumeria will be okay in our bright sun? Oh, yeah. Once again, let it get used to it. But uh, plumeria, um, there's so many different forms, and every one of them are beautiful and fragrant. Right. I already planted two of them when they were just still sticks, and it was still a little bit cooler, so they could Mm -hmm. gradually break into our heat. Well, and that's great. Just remember, they will have to come in before it freezes next fall because they will not stand freezing weather. They're just right. in the mush. Yeah, they came out of the garage as it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. Well, Jan, I'm about out of time here in this segment. Uh, always a pleasure to visit with you. And uh, get out and get some agapanthus. You'll really enjoy them. Okay, thank you. You're certainly welcome. Rosa, we'll make you up first as soon as we come out of the news break, and then we'll be into the regular show right here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555. All right, moving closer and closer to sunrise out there. It's still an hour away, but golly, it's going to be a beautiful day out there. Really pleasant temperature this morning, I tell you, don't... Don't uh, don't stay inside too long. Do like I would do if I had the opportunity. All right. Uh, we had a little glitch there. I don't know whether it was a power surge or something or other, but it just knocked us off for a second. But fortunately, having a good engineer back at the station and a good uh, tie line unit here, we are back up and running once again. So uh, looks like my next two callers are going to be Rosa and Turkey Tom, and Rosa's first in line. Good morning, Rosa. Hey, good morning. Um, good morning. Ask, good morning. I was going to ask you a question on trichoderma, but I heard that lady talking about hydrangeas, and I thought about mine. I've had mine, uh-huh. I don't know how long, in a big pot, the hydrangea, but I never knew right. it was going to really take. So I had just put a little bit of soil in there, and the plant, uh-huh. and it just grew, and it's never stopped blooming. It blooms forever. It's still got well, a big flower. Right what? Now. What? What color do you have? Uh, it's a it's green. The flower is green. <laughs> <laughs> well, fertilize it pretty heavily, and uh, it sounds like you've got the right place for it. But uh, uh, I can't imagine a, a green hydrangea. You know, normally after the flower color fades, they go to green, and the blooms last a while longer. But I'd I'd love to hear about it getting some pretty uh, pink blooms or white blooms but obviously you've got it figured out and uh whatever you're doing just keep on doing it well what i wanted to ask you was uh it's only got a little bit of soil at the bottom can i Mm -hmm. pull out the whole plant and put in some new soil or or is it 
just leave it like that. You're a smart lady, and yes, you would not want to just dump soil into the pot because you don't want to, you know, plant it deeper than it already is, but you would just slide it out of the pot, put some the appropriate amount of soil underneath it, put the plant back in the pot, and fill soil in around it, and uh, it should go on doing well for you. You probably won't have to water it quite as often once it gets some roots put out, but uh, just, you know, uh, increase the pot size just a little bit, more soil under and around it, and, and it should do even better for you. Oh, wonderful. Okay, and now the next thing was trichoderma. Is it too yes. late to put up the little card? Oh, you mean trichogramma? Yes. Yeah, trichoderma is a fungus that grows on cornmeal, but it, it, I, everybody gets that confused, including me sometimes. But you know, it, it's always a good time for trichoderma, but it is still fine for trichogramma as well. Thank God we don't have to spell it. I, I always love what Mark Twain said. He said, it's a sign of a limited intellect if a person can only spell a word one way. And I think I pretty much spell it differently every time I spell it. But the trichogramma. <laughs> Good laugh this morning. Trichogramma wasps, or or that's why people just call them tea wasps. But it is just now time uh, to protect our pecan nut crop, and it's also time to head off the the so-called tent caterpillars or webworms that could show up a little bit later in the spring. But no, it's still a fine time, and you got me having to think about it before I say it. Still a fine time to put out the trichogramma. So yeah. <laughs> Get them, okay. yeah, get them and get them out as soon as you can. Okay. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Have a great day. You do the same, Rosa. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. And anyone that's not familiar with what we're talking about, the little tea wasp, we'll just call them that, they are a very small little non-stinging wasp, but the benefit from the uh, trichogramma is that they parasitize the eggs of damaging caterpillars now, it seems that they work more on moth caterpillars than on butterfly caterpillars, so you're not worried about wiping out your beautiful butterflies. But they parasitize the eggs of several different caterpillar species, including the ones called the nut case bearers that ruin so much of the pecan crop for lots of people, and the caterpillars that make the so-called webworms in the trees. Um, those... Those guys, the little tea wasps, do a really good job. But once again, tiny little things that they are, they don't do anything to the caterpillars themselves. They just destroy the caterpillar eggs before uh, before they can hatch and cause a problem. So, yeah, you buy them as a little card. It kind of looks like a little small piece of sandpaper. And what you're actually getting on that card is uh, thousands of little moth eggs which have been infected or been parasitized with the wasp, and there's a little developing wasp inside of each one. They're inexpensive, um, and if you do in big areas and put out five to seven cards per acre, uh, if you're just trying to protect an individual tree, maybe just hang one of the little cards in the tree. Hang them in a way, I like using monofilament fishing line, but hang them in a way that the fire ants can't get to them because they will eat those eggs and uh, you lose all the benefit. But anyway, if the little tea wasp would do you some good, yes, there's still plenty of time to put out the trick of Grandma Wasp. All right, let's move on. And uh, Turkey Tom is up next. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Bob. How are you this morning? Oh, it's just a beautiful day out there. Just 
I don't know. It, this kind of weather can stick around for as long as it will in my book. It just doesn't get a lot better, especially since we got a good rain earlier this week. It's just, uh, I think we're all just smiling about all that. Yes, sir. In the past three weeks, we've had over 10 inches of rain down here, so it's been a very wet spring for us. Wow. That's that's a bit unusual. It's always a little reassuring, too, because the major droughts uh, that, you know, I remember very early in my life, uh, and uh, I've, of course, you know, read about others, but uh, they were things that just pretty much affected the entire area, and right around the hill country, right around San Antonio, We've been in a pretty bad drought for, I guess, about three years. But it's like we were just this little donut hole. When you look at the maps of the drought stage maps, uh, we were just real dry, but everybody around us was getting good rain. So that's always reassuring. It's not just going to be a general drought that moves in in state. I'm envious of your 10 inches because uh, I'd love to see some more water back in the rivers and some more water back in my lake. But actually walked up yesterday afternoon and it came up about a foot with that uh with that one good rain so uh i don't know all is good things are things are off to a good start this spring yes sir well we'll take what we can get amen hey, i have a question for you foliar feeding i've got fruit trees and grapevines and of course a vegetable garden uh-huh how often how often should i foliar feed i'm i'm using has to grow plant mixed with, well mixed with that's an excellent a that's that's a really good question and the answer is you can do it as often as you want but i'll give you one caution and uh earlier in my life uh we used to grow orchids commercially and had a good friend with usda that was actually doing some research and we were looking at a lot of plants who were coming mainly out of taiwan where they where they grow their little orchids almost exclusively with foliar feeding and as a result they have a cruddy root system. They'd come in beautiful plants, but they never held up well because they just didn't have a good root system. And Rob Griesbach was my friend at USDA, and he actually got in and did a bunch of research on it and found that when we give a plant everything it needs nutritionally through the leaves, basically the plant has no need to have roots other than just take water up. So I think you're always better to do a balance of foliar feeding and, you know, traditional, you know, root feeding, I guess you would call it. So um, I, and, and again, we were growing orchids, and ours had a reputation of, you know, holding up and being the best plants people could buy, far more so than the ones that were always foliar fed. And so I've always taken that to heart. I think a little foliar feeding helps periodically. I think it especially helps if you're spraying with something like a liquid seaweed and molasses. And where you're doing something like the has to grow liquid, it's certainly going to benefit your plants. But I'd probably uh, do a soil feeding twice for every once that I gave them a foliar feeding. Does that make sense? Yeah. So focus more on the roots than right. on the leaves. Yeah, you can... You can have a plant that can lose a lot of leaves and still do fine, but if you have a plant without many roots, when that hot weather hits, it's not going to be so great. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like good advice. Well, let me ask you another question. I, uh, I'm i trying your vinegar weed spray mix, the vinegar, orange oil, a little bit of molasses, and dish soap. Yes, sir. And uh, I mixed it up yesterday, and I tried it on some some grass and a few weeds, and uh, it never seemed to kill it. Did I do something wrong? Is there some step I missed? 
Um, be sure you're using fresh vinegar, and um, I you probably have better luck, uh, you know, a couple of three or four days from now because the the plants, the more active growth they're in, the better it seems to kill. Now, uh, considering that we just got a good rain, uh, it it may just be that the plants were a little bit dry beforehand, and the more active growth they're in, the faster it kills. I would, uh, I definitely repeat it this week. And what what specific plants are you trying to kill with it? Well, I have a little bit of Bermuda grass in a few areas, and then um, just just some small broadleaf weeds in the yep. garden. The the Bermuda just hasn't really started its spring growth yet. It's been nights have been cool, and Bermuda is just barely starting to come out and it really needs to have healthy green active growth uh, for the vinegar to kill effectively so I think on the on the uh, on the Bermuda it's just a little bit early but now on dandelions and things like that you should certainly especially with the weather getting warmer you should certainly uh, see some results uh, might get some fresh vinegar just to be on the safe side but um, I just uh, it, it's some sort of quirk, something, something weird about the day or something like that because uh, I've never seen it fail to kill pretty effectively. But I will tell you, the hotter it gets, the better it kills. Okay. Yeah, it, it may have been, especially since it rained yesterday, maybe the grass was a little too wet as well where I was spraying it. So that could maybe... Get, get diluted before it could do its job. That's quite possible. Mm-hmm. And let me ask you, I, I heard uh, that you can... Well, Fanex sells cherry trees, apparently. I didn't know you could grow cherry trees down here. Do you know anything about that? I know I've tried half a dozen times, and I've never had one live through the summer. Uh, would, uh, uh, Fanex does a lot of things that are experimental. Some of them work out. Some of them don't. There are cherries that grow here. They're just not the big, sweet cherries that we enjoy from California and Washington and places like that. But... Uh, uh, next time I see Mark or Mike over there, I'll ask him if there's some new variety. But if there was one that did well here, I think everybody around would have one in their yard. I've not found one, and I've tried. I've I've tried over the years, over the past, I don't know, I don't want to say how many years, but every time somebody's come out with a cherry they said tolerated the heat, I've bought it and planted one, and I've never had one survive. So if you find the secret, uh, I want to know about it. <laughs> All right. Well, if I can ask one last question. Last year, I had a, I had a plague of grasshoppers. I, I felt like a, uh, <laughs> I felt like an Egyptian pharaoh. You know, yes, they, they, were, I they were everywhere. Yeah. And uh, they were, they were even eating the leaves off my fruit trees. And you had gave me advice to um, spray that kale and clay, yes, with sir. water on the leaves, yes, and it worked a little bit. But is there anything else I can do other than that spray? I heard of something called Nolo Bait. I'm just curious if there's anything to head off the invasion this year. Well, Nolo Bait is outstanding. Nolo stands for Nosema locustri, which is a bacteria that is specific to grasshoppers. Kills mainly the young grasshoppers, being cannibalistic. The big grasshoppers eat the little grasshoppers, and they get it. Problem is, it's just not out there right now. It's a older couple that were producing it and for whatever reason uh, they just couldn't manufacture it any longer another company was supposed to take over (laughs) excuse me we have called 
everyone um, around that has a capability and have not found anybody. It was sold under two names. It was sold under the name of NOLO and sold under the name of Semaspore. And those are the two names you can Google and you can see if you can find. But we haven't been able to locate it anywhere from any source in any quantity this year. We're still trying. And if you find it, by all means, put it out because it's much more effective on young grasshoppers as opposed to the bigger grasshoppers. But uh, uh, right now, that, that kale and clay is, uh, you know, as strong as you can mix it and still spray it. That's still the best deterrent we have. The other thing that, believe it or not, works reasonably well, I don't know about on acreage, but do everything you can to uh, encourage the birds because birds, especially while they're raising their young and most all the wrens and titmice and field sparrows and finches and everything are, this is a time when they've usually got babies and even the seed eaters are going after a better protein source and uh, if you've ever sat and watched uh, something like a wren feed, it's like every three minutes they're coming back with either a grasshopper or a caterpillar, and they they do help. So anything you can do to attract the birds in the garden will reduce the grasshopper population, but uh, um, I hopefully we won't have the, the plague of the locust as the Egyptians did, but uh, it's not looking real good. I, and like I say, I'll be the first to let you know if we do find a good source under either the name of uh, Nolo uh, uh, or uh, the Semispore, which are the two you'd be looking for. They're both the same same bacteria. It is totally safe to people and pets, but uh, as long as you get at it early while you're getting the young grasshoppers, it is effective. You just can't find the stuff this year. Okay. Well, I appreciate it, Bob. You have a good morning. You do the same, Tom. It's always good to talk to you. Thank you, sir. All right, let's check the uh, list here. Looks like it's time to talk about Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. And once again, I'm sure there were a lot of nervous people around when a couple of nights ago the Weather Service was predicting hail up to an inch or bigger in diameter because, you know, there hasn't been a shingle roof yet put on that really stands up well to big hail. That's why I don't have a shingle roof on my home or on our business, and that's why I don't recommend them. I like metal roofs, and there's a big difference in quality, and the best of the best, you got it, Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. They simply use the best materials, they have the best workmanship out there, and they guarantee it. They've got an outstanding guarantee, and I've certainly figured out why, because they never have to come do anything. Our roof here at Shades Green stood up to baseball size hail. I mean, these were hailstones three inches in diameter. They didn't hurt our roof. I've had wind, many different things on the 20 years I've had my Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof on my home. If you simply want to stop worrying about whether what weather is going to do to your roof, get yourself a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof. They are very, very reasonably priced. They are very energy efficient. They're going to save you money on your utility bills every month. And many, if not most, insurance companies give you a discount on your homeowner's insurance when you have one of the roofs on your property. Love Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. Lots of choices, both in colors and in styles of metal. You just need to call them to learn more. 210-822-6868. 210-822-6868 for Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. You can tell people are waking up because I've got Matt and Ed and Dave ready to talk now, and Matt's first in line. Good morning, Matt. How are you, Bob? I'm off to a good start. It's a beautiful, cool morning. The soil is moist. Uh, 
it just, uh, if you're in the plant business, it doesn't get a whole lot better than this. That is true. What I rescued a little Miss Figgy uh, fig tree from a box store. <laughs> All right. It's and it, well, I've heard you talk about it, but it looks like it is grafted. Would they graft a little Miss Figgy or is it still probably grown from cuttings? Hey, it's almost certainly grown from cuttings. I can't imagine okay. why anyone would graft a fig tree. They, they're the easiest things in the world to air layer or grow from cuttings. If you ever want to make a hundred new ones, what you do is in uh, midwinter, you just go cut a whole bunch of branches, tie them in a bundle, bury them in a tub of perlite, uh, keep them warm, and a few a number of weeks later, you just open it up. They've all taken root. Uh, it, it's one of those plants. That, there are a handful of plant of house plants that I tell people if you can't grow this, you're going to have to switch to plastic. And this is sort of, it, this one of those things. If you can't propagate this plant, you're going to have to find a new hobby because I can't imagine why anyone would graft a, a Miss Figgy. I think it's, okay. I th it, it probably, being cutting grown, it probably had just a stub, you know, on the end, which looks a lot like a graft point. But And I and I will ask a couple of our growers, but uh, I okay. think they're just almost 100% uh, uh, just propagated through cuttings or air layers. Well. Okay, that's what I thought. But yeah, it had it did look a little bit like a a graph point, and there was some growth coming up below that. And mm -hmm. I didn't want to cut it off if I didn't need to. So <laughs> no, I don't think you need to. And little Miss Figgy's just is going to be a bush, which is what you're looking for. But it's for it's a small fig. It's a tasty fig. It's a very productive fig. And it doesn't try to take over the neighborhood like uh, most of your standard varieties will. So you, you've done a good thing. You get a gold star for a rescue event. Okay. And then I have a second question, if that's okay. Of course. So it, I had a couple of citrus trees that I had planted last fall. Of course, they froze in, uh, in the freeze. And the, the rootstock is coming up. How mature does that rootstock need to be before I could try to graft something new onto that? It needs to be, it, it needs to have, um, how to put it? it, it needs to have brown bark. I'll put it that way. If it's still soft green bark, you want it to be probably pencil size, you know, at the smallest. Um, pencil size or larger. There are two different ways, and, and you can probably you're going to have to have a picture to follow, but in, online you can look both at grafting and at budding. Um, most, and this goes for more than citrus, most of it is now actually done what we call budding, which is, you might say, a form of grafting. But um, if you're going to graft, you probably want to do what they call a whip graft, and you need a picture to see how that's done. If you want to do um, what they call budding, it's very easy. You simply take a, uh, a piece of the stem on an existing um, citrus tree of the variety you want, and literally where you've got that little undeveloped bud on the side of the stem, you make like a sort of a diamond cut around that and very gently tweeze it away from the wood underneath. Uh, your citrus that you want to bud onto you simply make a slit up and down and literally just sort of slip this little this little patch, this little diamond-shaped thing. You slip it into that 
either put some grafting wax on that or you can use grafting tape and then you cut that stem off right above the point where you put that bud in and what that does is the sap rises as the auxins rise up with the sap it's going to cause that bud to sprout and grow and make a whole new lemon trunk but again you almost have to have a picture for that to make sense but uh, once yeah. you've done it once you'll be an expert and like I say I'd, I'd let the stem get up to minimum size of a soda straw size of a wooden pencil or pen would do uh, would probably do better okay well some of those they're already the size of a pencil or a little bit bigger okay. but uh but it's still green so yeah i was wondering how long i needed to wait so wait till soon, it gets wait till it gets a brownish bark and uh, okay then either whip grafted or butt it and you should be at least 95 percent successful okay and would i you know i've heard you talk about making you know a fruit cocktail with citrus it it has several, you know, suckers come on, let them all grow to get the energy so the, the leaf matter, or should I cut some off and just leave the strongest one? I I would leave a number of them. Uh, if you want it to be, a in effect, a bush, uh, if you're looking to make a tree out of it, then reduce all except one or two. But uh, your thinking is exactly right. The more leaves you have, the more energy is stored and put into the plant what you have to just be sure that you're doing is not allowing the plant to put so much energy into the growth of the rootstock that it doesn't send enough energy to the limbs that you are, have already budded or you're getting ready to bud okay yeah i've heard you talk that a, a bush is more productive than a tree so i'll leave it as a bush but i just uh yeah wanted to know if i should cut those the rest of the suckers off or you know, leave three or four, kind of like what you say in a crepe myrtle to keep them, you know, to make a multi-trunk tree or multi-trunk or if I should, you know. That's I, I would I only leave, I would only leave uh, ones that you plan to graft onto. If you want to make a fruit cocktail tree out of it, go for it. Otherwise, I'm probably going to take everything off just to force it to put all of its growth into one or two of the strongest ones that I want to save. Now, if you do okay. decide to make a fruit cocktail tree out of it, uh, try to keep the sizes of the tree similar. In other words, uh, I wouldn't necessarily put a grapefruit along with a kumquat because the kumquat's going to stay four feet tall. A grapefruit tree wants to grow 25 feet tall. So if you make a fruit cocktail tree out of it, choose more than one variety that's going to be about the same mature size. Now, that might be pretty big. You might do a grapefruit and an orange and, uh, you know, some larger things. Or you might do just a series of smaller things like a Mexican lime and a kumquat and uh, something like that. But uh, it, it, it'll be fun, and there's no such thing as too much citrus. Right. Well, I, I've got the citrus bug. I have lots of plants, and so I have plenty of <laughs> citrus material to use. So Sounds great. Well, good luck with okay. it. Let me know what you decide and how it works out for you. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. It's my pleasure, Matt. Thank you, sir. All right, got to get a quick break in here. Ed will be up next, and then Dave. Looks like I get to talk about Kinetico. And you know how I love talking about good products. And in my opinion, Kinetico is the only water softener that I will ever own. It just has so many advantages. All that lightning that was bouncing around a couple of nights ago, you get a power surge, you get a strike, you know, you can just burn out the guts of your electronic uh, water softener. And then you've got an expensive repair you're looking at, and you're without soft water. 
nice thing about Kinetico is it doesn't use electricity. It runs on the kinetic energy of the water, in the water, hence the name Kinetico, and you don't have to worry about power surges or lightning strikes because it doesn't plug into the 110 outlet. And it yet it does just as good a job of softening the water. It's a twin tank system. You're never going to run out of soft water. And it only recharges the rosin when it needs to be recharged. That's the other thing about these computer-driven models is they recharge whether they need to or not, and that wastes salt, that wastes water, that costs you money. I love my Kinetico. I think you will, too. They're so confident, they'll let you try it for 90 days before you pay for it, if you like. Learn more, go to KineticoSA.com, or give a call, 210-656-PURE. That's 210-656-PURE for Kinetico. My name's Bob. I love working on my ranch, but I didn't like going to the doctor and feeling bad. My lower back pain and joint pain was always hurting, and I just couldn't do the things that I wanted to do. Taking care of my ranch is demanding work, and I didn't want to just grow old and give it up. I heard of Dr. Torres and the Institute of Functional Health and decided to make a call and get an appointment. It was the best decision I ever made. Dr. Torres helped me understand why I was in pain. He understood my situation, did a thorough evaluation, and changed my life. I'm now 27 pounds lighter. I have no pain. I have uh, more than enough energy to do the work on my ranch. I feel younger, healthier. I'm glad I met Dr. Torres, who helped me take control of my life. Call Dr. Torres at the Institute for Functional Health for a free consultation, 468-1891. That's 468-1891. The Institute for Functional Health, 468-1891. Imagine getting ahead of your irritable bowel syndrome with constipation or IBSC by treating it with Linzess. Then you could start proactively managing your constipation with belly pain and get ahead of your symptoms. Talk to your doctor about Linzess, linaclotide. Linzess is a prescription medicine that treats IBSC in adults. It's not a laxative. It's a once daily pill that helps you get ahead of your symptoms. It's proven to help you have more frequent and complete bowel movements and helps relieve overall abdominal symptoms, belly pain, discomfort, and bloating. These symptoms were studied in combination, not individually. Do not give Linzess to children less than two. It may harm them. Do not take Linzess if you have a bowel blockage. Get immediate help if you develop unusual or severe stomach pain, especially with bloody or black stools. The most common side effect is diarrhea, sometimes severe. If it's severe, stop taking Linzess and call your doctor right away. Other side effects include gas, stomach area pain, and swelling. Imagine, what could relief from IBSC mean for you? Talk to your doctor and say yes to Linzess. Learn more at Linzess.com or call 1-800-LINZESS. I'm Rocky Moselle with StarRegistry.com. Since we were children, we've been told to reach for the stars. It was great advice. Now it's a great gift. Name a star after someone. For $54 and a call to 800-282-3333 or visit StarRegistry.com, we will name a star after someone very special to you and send an incredible personalized gift. The new star name will be recorded in book form in the U.S. Copyright Office. Call the Star Registry, 800-282-3333 or visit StarRegistry.com for the hottest gift. I'm Rocky Mosell with StarRegistry.com. Since we were children, we've been told to reach for the stars. It was great advice. Now it's a great gift. Name a star after someone. For $54 and a call to 800-282-3333 or visit StarRegistry.com, we will name a star after someone very special to you and send an incredible personalized gift. The new star name will be recorded in book form in the U.S. Copyright Office. Call the Star Registry, 800-282-3333 or visit StarRegistry.com for the hottest gift. 
South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Ed, David, Greg, and Ed is next in line. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? Good morning, sir. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? I'm off to a good start. How about yourself? Pretty good, pretty good. A um, couple questions real quick. Uh, first of all, my two pecan trees in the backyard did not fully bloom out this year. Uh, I'm afraid to ask, does it sound like they didn't make it through the winter or what? I think probably you're looking at drought damage. I am seeing that. But I'm seeing pecan trees that are really late coming out all over. Are these big mature trees, young trees? How? What size are they? Well, um, they've been here 30 years, 25 okay. to 30 years. I keep, if we don't get more good rains, keep watering and certainly don't give up on them at this point. Um, okay. If you went another two weeks and had limbs that had no sign of growth, if it's possible, I don't want you falling out of a tree and getting hurt, but many times you can stimulate a limb to come out if it just doesn't have quite enough energy to break the buds. Uh, if you cut that limb about a third back, that concentrates the little auxins that are what causes what we call bud break, causes the little buds to break and actually form leaves. But uh, their Good. pecans are later coming out this year, and... Uh, uh, most of them have at least started coming out, but I'm seeing lots of pecan trees around town that, you know, don't have a tenth of leaves. I would expect to see them at this time of year. Yeah, me too. It really had me worried there. Uh, the gardens are doing well. i got flowers on my taters. Is that a good thing, or should I nip them off? Oh, no. It's, uh, well, you, you said it on your potatoes? Correct. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I, I was thinking maters instead of taters. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of difference. I, where it's conveniently convenient, I usually take them off. I think it just forces the plants to grow a little bit more uh, before the tops die back. But I've never done a side-by-side test. And the years that I just haven't had time to go through and take the buds off, I still get a good potato crop. So I'd say it's up to you. Leave them or pinch them off if you got the time. Well, it's my first year growing potatoes, and I wasn't sure if that was something I was supposed to leave on there or not. It doesn't, they're fine with me. It's uh, not going to make a huge difference, but it may keep them growing a little while longer. In my garden, typically it's around June when the plants just start turning yellow and die back. But uh, how, when did you plant your, your taters? Uh, four, six weeks ago, maybe. Okay. They're you, probably going on 30 inches tall right now. Yeah. They're really growing up there. At some point, you can start taking your index finger and just probe around in the ground at the base of them. I suspect you would right. find little potatoes now, maybe ping pong ball size. But uh, if you like new potatoes, there's nothing at all wrong with, with taking a few of the little potatoes off and go ahead and enjoy them. The, the plants are always going to make a few bigger potatoes right at the base, right underneath where that all that growth is coming up. Uh, but it really okay. doesn't hurt on a few of them that are a little bit further out. If you want to go have potatoes for dinner, new potatoes, boiled new potatoes, I think there's some really good sauces and things you can do with that. You go ahead and enjoy. You're gonna you're gonna do well with your potatoes. Cool. One last quick question. Uh, my 
tomatoes and squash are doing really well. I planted a whole bunch of determinants. I'm worried about the pests getting on them, so can you remind me what I should spray on there once in a while? Well, the the thing that is most damaging to them is, are spider mites, and you can pretty much eliminate them by spraying regularly every couple of weeks with liquid and liquid seaweed. I use a mixture okay. of like two tablespoons seaweed, one tablespoon molasses to a gallon of water. It doesn't kill the okay. spider mites, but it just simply toughens the leaves where the spider mites can't get after them. The most aggravating thing doesn't really hurt the plants, but it can ruin the fruit are what we call leaf-footed bugs. There are many different leaf-footed bugs, including stink bugs that are recognized where the back leg sort of broadens a bit. Yeah, um, I know. The, yeah, you know about those. Eliminate those everywhere you can, either the thumb and forefinger or spraying with spinosad, but those are the guys that are, can really affect your fruit quality. But uh, beyond that, the old occasional tomato hornworm, um, if you want to add a little BT to your uh, molasses and seaweed spray, that uh, the molasses along with your BT, it's going to keep stay active all summer, and you'll never see a hornworm on those tomato plants. So uh, nothing major to worry about. Your biggest enemy may turn out to be the birds, but uh, I, I think the seaweed molasses is really very important. And do keep an eye out for the leaf-footed bugs. Some years we escape them. Some years they're just they're in huge numbers. If you catch them early, where they're still in that you know nymph stage, uh, they're a whole lot easier to control. Yeah, I've just seen a couple uh, caterpillars, weird ones, and I squished them real quick. <laughs> well, I guess we were looking for the, the squash, but uh, got a lot of birds in the backyard. Uh, we've been feeding them seeds for a couple of years now. Very but good. I didn't, know, I didn't know they were going after my vegetables. I knew they were feeding their little offspring with the worms and stuff. I kept seeing that a lot. Well, mockingbirds, mockingbirds in particular, have a fondness for uh, big ripe tomatoes. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, the I things I hear in the background now, the wrens and tip mice, things like that, they're not going to bother your tomatoes. But a, a mockingbird will pick the ripest, most beautiful tomato in the garden, poke about six holes in it, and then go on to the next one. So do keep an eye out for those guys. I will. Well, thank one, you, buddy. Have a good, good day now. One one last question I'd ask you is, do you have any problem with uh, squirrels or raccoons going after your bird seed, bird feed? I keep an eye on the squirrels. Uh, I, of course, don't shoot anything in the city, but they fall off the tree once in a while. Uh, <laughs> probably from bad seeds. Yeah, uh, probably so. But what I was going to yeah. tell you about, if you haven't discovered it yet, there is there's company up in New Braunfels uh, that is making something they call Flaming Hot. And it's, uh, it's this stuff is hot enough that the guys putting it together have to wear hazmat suits. But birds don't taste pepper heat. They don't, you know, they don't taste the chili pekin or whatever. I'm sure they're using ghost peppers or something like that. But birds don't taste it. But they they blend this in with the seed. And believe me, the squirrels and the raccoons will not come close to it. They do loose seed. And they also do, you know, the bells and the cylinders and things like that. So uh, if the wow. if they ever get persistent, uh, look for uh, the company's called Mr. Bird. You got him, Bert Smith. Wonderful, wonderful couple. But um, uh, the flaming hot seed really does take care of the squirrel problem. Cool. I'll do that. 
All right. Thank you, Thank you much, buddy. Always a pleasure. You get out and enjoy, and I know we'll talk again. Got to get a quick okay. break in here, and then Dave and Greg will be up next. These breaks seem to come around way too often, but uh, it's what keeps us on the air, I guess. Looks like I get to talk to you about Fanix at this point. And uh, Fanix, 10 acres of nursery over there, 90 years' experience in the business. These guys and gals do it right, always have. They are known for things like roses. And this time of year, boy, they've got a lot of beautiful roses in bloom. They're just starting to get their crepe myrtles in. By the time it's all said and done, they'll probably have a hundred different varieties, all the way from little minis up to the 35-foot jobs. They also have a bunch of very colorful Fiesta pots, perfect time of year to get by and check those things out. New shipment of citrus trees, a whole lot of different citrus. I can go on and on. They uh, Remember, too, that uh, CPS Energy Green Shade Tree Rebate Program. Uh, if you're in the CPS service area, I think it's up to seven trees. You plant them where shade would be beneficial, and they will give you $50 credit per tree, which means on a five-gallon tree, they're practically buying the trees for you. That program all ends the end of April, so if you want to take advantage of it, it's, you need to do so in the near future, and Phoenix is a good place to visit for the dozen or so tree species that qualify, including most all the good trees. Phoenix, of course, also carries the, uh, uh, the uh, Ego lithium-ion battery-powered equipment. They have Traeger pellet grills and accessories, lots of veggies, all the organic products you're looking for. Just a great weekend to get over and see Phoenix. Right where they've been for over 90 years now, right there on Home Green Road, just off South W.W. White. Uh, open every day to serve you. You can check them out online at Phoenix, F-A-N-I-C-K, PhoenixNursery.com. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Dave and Greg and James. Dave is first in line. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Bob. Last week I talked to you about my ginkgo that was pushing leaves at the tips and not along the branches. Uh, Yeah. It it hasn't done that for a couple years. You... um, suggested doing a percolation test and i completely being being completely adverse to even thinking about moving it i didn't pay close attention so um tell me how close to the tree i should dig a hole how deep and how long i should look for the water to be gone um basically there's no specific size uh what you're concerned about is just the consistency the quality of the um, you know, of the soil. So as long as it's, it's large enough that you can see down in, I'd say minimum six inches diameter. Um, a little bit larger would be fine, but, you know, it's just hard to dig a hole in a lot of areas around San Antonio. But basically dig the size hole or dig the depth of hole that you did when you originally planted your ginkgo. Uh, then just fill it with water. It should all drain out minimum in an overnight period. I'd love to see it drained out in six hours or so. Okay. All right. Um, I mean, and, and, and how close to the tree? Just, just... It, it's just so you're in the same soil type. Probably, okay. you know, unless uh, you're, they've filled your lot you know, at different depths and, you know, really different soils or something. Uh, 
uh, I'd probably stay within 10 feet of it, but it, the proximity makes no difference. It's just that you're digging to the same depth and in soil that's similar to what you put your tree in. And if it turns out that you do have a problem with uh, percolation, with this, uh, getting the oxygen back into the soil, water doesn't hurt anything, but when, you, when the water stays and drives the oxygen out of the soil, that's what kills roots and ultimately kills plants. But you may just have to... Uh, uh, create a raised area, whether it's a berm, whether it's a physical raised bed. I know you've wandered around our nursery and uh, don't know how long, but uh, you might remember the first time we put a couple of big oak trees in, they folded up and died. We found out that uh, that we did have a poor drainage issue and the three that we replanted in that area we just basically set the root balls on top of the ground and built a planter around them giving those trees the opportunity to choose the area where they wanted to grow their roots uh they've turned into massive oak trees and done extremely well so uh this this isn't the end of the world if you do have to replant but uh if if your soil's not draining well uh, that's a recipe for disaster because when the uh, when the water drives all the oxygen out of the soil, trees' roots have to have oxygen. If they don't get it, the roots die, and unfortunately, the tree usually follows. Okay, I'll give it a shot. Would would some uh, landscape essentials be helpful anyway? At this point, I would probably uh, concentrate on uh, you know first of all making sure that the roots can take it up. Uh, landscape essentials would be nice, but I probably would want to use something a little bit faster acting, like the has to grow plant or something. And in this case, I might do a foliar feeding and you know spray up and down the trunk as well as putting some on the soil. I mean, you're not going to need to water you know in the next few days because unless you are under a big umbrella somewhere, we all got an inch or two of rain, and so that's the most soaking rain we've had in quite some time. All right. Very good. Thank you. You're certainly welcome. Appreciate the call. Let's see if we can get Greg in here before the news break. Good morning, Greg. Hey, uh, so unintentionally, I uh, started growing some potatoes. <laughs> and I was trying to figure out uh, if they're going to be any good, because they are like the uh, peelings from, I guess, store-bought potatoes. And I don't sure. know how I started growing them, but... Uh, how, how do the compost pile yesterday, and I had these green six-inch trees sticking out, and I dug one up, and they're they're potatoes. Well, uh, they you know you have a plenty good chance of getting potatoes off of them, and there's nothing wrong with uh, doing it uh, until those you know until those shoots get up. They're probably going to get up about 24 inches tall. As long as you've got enough leaves, enough green foliage on top. Uh, to make the nutrients uh, that the potatoes need to grow and develop. Uh, nothing wrong with leaving them and see what happens. Whatever potatoes you get will be just fine. Uh, if you want to throw a little fertilizer on them, all the better. Give you a better chance of getting more potatoes. And uh, They may not be huge things. Uh, do you know if these were red potatoes or if they were the brown skin potatoes, the baking potatoes? I'm guessing they're uh, they're rustic or yeah. something like that. They're the brown ones. Uh, yeah. now, they, they don't they don't make the bag. Yeah, they don't make as good a new potato, but um and, and chances are with looking at the time, they're probably not gonna make an enormous potato, but they'll make a, a very tasty potato. Nothing wrong with keep on growing them. What kind of fertilizer should I put on it? 
If you want to use a liquid, I would use Hastagrove plant. If you want to use a dry granular, uh, any of the regular ones would be good. Let me do this. I'm going to put you on hold. We'll come back right after the news. You're listening to KTSA Radio in San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. Back to gardening on a beautiful Saturday morning out there. I believe Greg had another question or two, so we're going to visit with him first. Then it'll be James and it'll be Vern. Good morning again, Greg. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, yes, sir. How can I help? Oh, well, just talking about the potatoes again. Right. Um, it's okay that there is, uh, that I keep them in the compost, and uh, even though it's not in full sun. Again, if you were planting new potatoes, I would tell you get it out in the sun and do them in soil. But potatoes are such that you're going to mess up the roots trying to dig them out of the compost pile and replant them into soil. You're going to be putting the roots into a totally different material than they're used to growing in now. I would leave them just where they are, understanding that uh, this is your first shot at it, so to speak. And, you know, you're not going to get the big old gorgeous potatoes that you would have if you planted in February. And I planted them in soil and done all the appropriate things. But at this point, um, I'd say that you're, you're just getting a little bonus out of your compost pile. But let them grow. Do water them in the compost pile do put a little bit of fertilizer on them but uh at this state i think you would do more damage than good trying to transplant them somewhere else all right sounds good i appreciate it and it's too late to plant more uh february maybe early march or about as late as we can go with potatoes and still hope to get a crop in before the heat uh is in but at least you're gonna have bragging rights you can tell your friends hey i grew my own potatoes what about you (laughs) i I just walked out there and they were just there well you could just claim that that makes you the most special gardener in the neighborhood that things just happen automatically (laughs) uh, you enjoy you call me if you have any more questions all right, bud. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Certainly. Next in line is James. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. How you doing? Well, I'm well. How about yourself? It is a beautiful morning. How much rain fell on uh, your ground out there this past week? Uh, just a little bit more than about an inch. Oh, well, that's not bad. That's not bad. It seems like you frequently get a, about twice as much as us mortal people do, but uh, an inch is a good soaking rain. I, that, that's fine. And for once, I think uh, I think I got 1.82. My partner got uh, 1.51. She's about uh, 20 miles east of me, and people just north of us got a little over two inches. But it was the nice thing. It was a widespread rain. I think everybody got some out of this uh, out of this system. Yeah, we need it, man. I. Uh... I sold about 200 foot of uh, cilantro uh, just for for the beneficials and uh, fertilized some cover crops. So it came at the right time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So what's producing now? What are you or your tomatoes? Uh, I think last time we talked you had green tomatoes. Are you picking any ripe tomatoes yet? Um. The celebrities in the hoop house are about as big as tennis balls, and wow. uh, I don't know, maybe another ten days, two weeks, <laughs> be coming into uh, 
picking tomato time. Uh, just makes you salivate just thinking about it. Good homegrown tomatoes. They're, they're just nothing better. Well, my uh, my cucumbers, I, I've got a cucumber uh, shack uh, uh, with shade cloth on it and a trellis. And I put in about 20 uh, of the sweet success. And they're getting 16, 18 inches long. So I'm going to be uh, eating uh, cucumbers and uh, here in a couple couple of days. That that sweet success is one of the best new cucumbers that's ever come along. The seed's a little pricey, right. but uh, they sure do produce well, and it sure is a good cucumber. I'm glad you're doing well with them. Yeah, we we buy the seed uh, in the hundred packs. That's about thirty dollars delivered, but that lasts uh, that lasts a year for yep. about three people. Yep. Man, that's good cucumber. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, a friend of mine uh, asked me to call you. Um, they've got uh, blossom end rod on the yellow squash and the zucchini, and don't know what to do. So I said I would try to get through and call you and see what your advice was. Well, blossom end rot, that's not really what's happening there. I know it looks kind of like blossom. Well, it looks something like. Blossom end rot on tomatoes, as you well know, it turns, it discolors, but it doesn't get soft and mushy like that. And in tomatoes, it's an imbalance of calcium and magnesium. But in squash and cucumbers, it is a whole different thing, and it's just what the the scientists would call incomplete pollination because you've got to have one pollen grain transferred to the female part of the flower the stigmatic surface of the pistil you got to have one pollen grain for every seed that's going to be in that cucumber or is going to be in that squash plant and what happens when you have this going on is let's say that 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 squash was programmed to have 300 seeds in it but somehow in the pollinizing process, it only got 100 seeds on there. Well, the first third of that squash is going to develop perfectly normally. And then something chemically in the squash says, hey, I don't have what it takes to make any more seeds. So I'm just going to let the end of the squash rot. And uh, sometimes it turns soft and brown. In the case of a cucumber as opposed to a squash, it normally just shrivels up and looks like a little rat tail. But uh, that just means that uh, either you don't have enough bees or the bees aren't doing their job. Fortunately, it's real easy to get your own little paintbrush and go out there and dust around and be sure that you're getting plenty of pollen spread from the male flowers to the female flowers and plenty of pollen on that uh, on that end of the pistol, what we call the stigmatic surface. And you won't ever see that happen again. It's It's just poor pollination is all it is, James. Okay, I'll give them the news and uh, let them know what you, what you said. Uh, I've been having trouble with uh, the mockingbirds on the the Japanese persimmons, the real sweet ones. Oh yeah, uh huh. And uh, I've tried uh, to uh, everything from the twenty gauge to covering the plants with uh, bird netting, but they seem to be able to find their way in. So. Um, I went online and got some, uh, the, the Japanese use them. They're called fruit protection bags with little drawstrings mm-hmm. on them, nylon. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to try them this year because uh, 
it there's it's not too much work to protect those uh, Japanese persimmons. Well, I was thinking. Go ahead. That they might work for squirrels too. Uh, it all depends on what you get. The blasted squirrels will tend to chew through them, but of course you can put a guard on the trees if they're not crowded in too closely with others. Problem is, if that little net bag is lying right on top of the persimmon, old mockingbird may just try to kind of peck right through that little bag. They're, um, I know they, they use them on tomatoes and a lot of other things, and it, uh, it may give you some protection, but Short of uh, short of shooting or whatever, which we can't do with our state bird, there's not a lot. There are some things, and, and mockingbirds are, are smarter than most birds, and it may or may not work. But people hang shiny things, old you know, aluminum foil and pie plates and things like that, um, and have some success. I know uh, uh, my friends at the Little Nature Store up in Bernie, Patty has something they call scare tape, and it's like a, uh, it's like a, almost like a piece of cellophane or something or other that just reflects, you know, 20 different shades of light, and you can just hang, just tie on some pieces of this out in the trees, and uh looks kind of like a disco ball when the sunlight hits it, especially if the breeze blows, and I've had some people tell me that those work real well, and it, they cost almost nothing. Uh, but that they work pretty well in repelling the birds. These bags are green, they're nylon, and they blend in with the color of the tree. Uh-huh. And we're believing that if the mockingbird can't see the persimmon, he, he'll go somewhere else. But um, <laughs> I, I hope you're right. the tree down because it's just too much uh, pain and suffering to, have all the fruit damaged or uh, or try something else. So the big producers in Japan cover hundreds of acres with these these bags. So uh-huh. I think they might work. Well, if they if they are using them successfully and uh, it is certainly worth a try. I I'll be very interested to hear. And uh, you've you've brought us so many good sources on so many different things. Uh, you give them a try. If they work out, be sure and let us know where people can get them because uh, you've got the experience, and I'm with you. There's just there's nothing that's much more sour than a non-ripe persimmon, and there's nothing that's much better than a uh, uh, Asian persimmon that is properly ripened. So uh, good luck on that. I'll look forward to hearing how it, how it works for you. Can I uh, ask one more thing? Of course, of course. Um, I was talking to the boys up in Austin, and they were saying that you really need to leave the thistles uh, growing in the in the wild areas around. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, I was out there looking at the th- thistles, uh, the ones with the blue flowers, uh, in the you know out in the wild in the in the borderlands and wild places. Uh-huh. And there's a caterpillar. Just not on every leaf, but on quite a one plant has about ten caterpillars, and yep. they're about two inches long, and they're they're wound up on the leaf with like a, a spider webbing, uh-huh. and they're uh, they have like spikes on them. They're real uh, nasty looking. Uh-huh. And a friend of mine went online and he said, "Well, James, that's." Uh, 
the thistle caterpillar, and that turns into the painted lady. And I didn't know if you, is that a good, that's a good one, right? Well, if you like them, they're a good one. Now, you get up in Wyoming and Montana and those places, they actually import, you know, those butterflies, in effect, as it were, because uh, they actually have, have found that they can get a lot of control on thistles just by letting nature take its course. Uh, we've asked about bringing the same thing down here, and they don't want to share so uh, thistles, there's so many different kinds of thistles. I've never seen anything eat this Malta star thistle, which is a relatively recent import. But a lot of the native thistles and even some of the big old Russian thistles, they uh, um, there are caterpillars and things that do eat them. I, golly, I don't know about leaving them alone. I was shopping a bunch of them around my own, you know, house yesterday because they just are so spiny and it's like one year they'll be just thick as fleas the next year you'll hardly see one so i don't know that i'd leave them all go to seed because they say one plant can make two hundred and fifty thousand seed and you will not walk through a field of them i can guarantee you unless you're wearing chain mail or something so i don't know about leaving them but uh i guess leave a few for nature but uh, there are places that they are controlling them just through the appropriate introducing the appropriate natural predator that that eats those things, so uh, there's definitely something to that. And I was also told that the thistle is a host to all kinds of beneficials. And once again, it's because you know beneficials don't come in to feed on the thistle. Uh, beneficials come in to feed on the aphids and the other insects that want to feed on the thistle. So. Yes. Um, it's they, you know, they, they very definitely have their place, but uh, I promise you it's not in your front yard. No, these are, these are way out. you gotta, you got to put on your uh, uh, flashlight and your hunting dog and your 20-gauge <laughs> to go out and find them. They're, they're well, not that close. Yeah, they, as long as the numbers stay reasonable, yeah, they do have their own place. And, uh one of these days, we'll get some enlightened study into the actual species that really help keep them under control, and then there'll be even less of an issue. So, interesting subject, James. Always good to hear from you, and I'll really look forward to hearing how those persimmon bags work. Yes, sir, and thanks for your information. Thanks for answering my questions, Bob. You know, it's always a pleasure. You have a wonderful weekend, and I know we'll talk again. Vern, hang on just a minute. Got to get a break in here, and you will be up next. Right now, I get to talk to you about a company that I've only done business with for, what, 30, 35 years. Of course, talking about S.A. Rainmaker. And let me tell you, there are a lot of people out there installing sprinkler systems that don't know what they're doing. That's one thing that I get a lot of calls about from people whose systems aren't covering evenly or they simply weren't put in right. Let me tell you, S.A. Rainmaker did the put the sprinkler system in my yard back when I lived in San Antonio, and to the best of my knowledge, it's still there and functioning perfectly today. These guys and gals do the best work in the industry, in my opinion. They also have a new something that they can install on an existing system or a new system. It's called the flow sensor, and it will detect if there's a leak. If that system is losing water when it's not supposed to, it will shut the system off until you can get it 
it repaired. A lot of people don't know they've got a leak until they get this horrendous water bill from saws. Well, if you've got the flow sensor from SA Rainmaker, you'll know almost immediately if you have an issue going on out there. They do both commercial and residential. Financing is available. If you're just looking, deciding that it's time to get a sprinkler system, or if you have an older system that needs to be updated, maybe needs a new controller, SA Rainmaker does all of this and more. Uh, like I say, <laughs> they're not anybody that's new to me. I've known them for a long time. They've been the only company I recommended for sprinklers for 30, 35 years now. So if you'd like to learn more, give them a call, 210-599-0012. It's 210-599-0012 for SA Rainmaker. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It's going to be Vern and Julie and Clint. Vern is first in line. Good morning, Vern. Good morning. Good morning, I, sir. I have a Myers, Myers lemon tree that I bought last year. I've, I've got one that I've had for about seven years in a flower pot, so I yeah. can move it in and out of the garage in the winter. Yeah. i got one I bought last year. It's got a warranty on it, but the, the Myers lemon died. The root is growing. Mm-hmm. Do I want to... Take some of that old, but like I said, the old is probably it's probably more like ten year old Myers lemon tree. Do I want to take some of that and try a uh, cutting, or should I just take that back? And because what I'm looking at is I got my roots growing now. If I if I splice that in, or graft well, it in, would that be? You would actually graft it on to the shoots that are coming up. And there's nothing at all wrong with doing that if uh, you feel like that. You know, there was something wrong with the plant when you got it, and you want to go exchange it for another. Um, I, you know, that's that's totally your decision. I, I have to tell you that, um, you know, reputable nurseries replace things that that you know may where they may have caused the problem. The problem is that um, when you're dealing with the box stores and things like that, I think they they do what I consider you know unethical in that. Uh, they don't lose anything. The reason they give you an unconditional guarantee is uh, if you take something back to them, they just simply don't pay the grower for it to begin with. So uh, uh, that's why they can make that offer. But if you feel like there was something wrong with the tree, then, you know, I'd certainly ask for another one. Now, um, if I, I put I put some of that uh, insulate over it, uh-huh. but I didn't have enough to cover the whole thing. I had yeah. about a, a foot and a half. It's short on one side. <laughs> so I turned that to the south, but yeah, no, it, I mean, I covered it mostly. Yeah, but it, it's just, it, it wasn't enough this time around. Hopefully it'll be a few years before we see that kind of temperature again. This was, we've had, we've had two once in 30 year freezes in the past three years. So I'm through with that kind of stuff. I, I wish we had a say in it, but uh, if you want to regraft, there's nothing at all wrong with letting, I mean, the rootstock is much more cold-hardy than the top of the plant. That's why uh, the rootstock frequently comes out even when the top of the plant freezes. But uh, And there's nothing wrong with regrafting, but uh, that's, that, that's strictly up to you. If you don't do something, it'll just turn into a thorny mess that'll never give you yeah, edible fruit. It, it's going to, that's what I was thinking about, just grafting it, just for yeah. the, to learn how to do it. Oh, absolutely, and and like like I was telling an earlier caller, 
Uh, you may graft it or you may do what is called budding. Uh, I think more uh, plants are budded these days, which means simply that you're grafting just a bud on it instead of an actual twig. But uh, look at it online or if you can find a book on grafting, it's it's not difficult to do. But um, it does, <laughs> it's a lot easier to have somebody show you how to do it as my old Let's see, that was my sophomore year professor taught us how to graft, and we practiced on a lot of different things. But um, uh, not difficult to do, and it's a lot of fun to do. But look at both grafting and budding, because budding is a little easier where you simply put one bud in there, then cut off the stem above that, and it sort of forces the plant to break that bud and grow on from there. But both of them are very durable, and uh, um, uh, you'll get a good new tree out of it, so to speak. I, with that rootstock, no one what it is, but uh, with that rootstock, I can make one of them mutant trees, right? I can put a lemon on there, an orange, uh, and all that <laughs> Yes, sir. Yes, sir, but just cut off everything except the ones that you're going to graft because uh, that rootstock is much stronger than anything you graft on it. And if you let the rootstock grow after you have grafted it, your graft will ultimately die. The rootstock will just take all the nutrient and run with it. So be sure you cut away everything except what you're grafting. But uh, um, with little practice, you will become a master grafter, and you have a whole new second career because a lot of people in town looking for somebody to regraft their citrus this year. That's for sure. Uh, the thing is, finding it. Yep. The whole, I know there's a grapefruit tree now that I think of it. Maybe I'll do some of that. I got cholesterol, so I can't eat it anyway. But well, just whatever. just keep in mind that you don't want to. If you're making a fruit cocktail tree, if you're putting more than one variety of of citrus onto a tree, um, you probably don't want to do a little dwarf tree like a kumquat along with a grapefruit tree that wants to grow 25 feet tall. Try to keep the ones you you graft onto your new tree fairly similar in growth, or else one of them is just going to dominate and shade out everything else. But fun to yeah. do, and I'd encourage you to give it a try. All right. I think I'll do that. Sounds good, Vern. Uh, I figured I'd think of a couple more questions while we were talking, but I haven't. So You know how to get back to you. My pleasure, okay. Vern. I appreciate your call. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Uh, tell you what, Julie, let me, uh, we got a little behind there a minute ago. Let's get this break in so I don't have to rush. You and Clint will be up next. I get to talk about Medina, and that's always such a pleasure because I've known Stuart Frankie and his family for, well, not as long as they've been around. They, they've been around longer than I have, but uh, they, uh, they're just a good company making top quality products. Uh, they do fertilizers. They do things that support microbial life in the soil, like their soil activator and their Medina Plus. They package a lot of wonderful products out there. Just a good company. And one of the things they want me to feature right now is their new Grow and Green 961 fertilizer. Now, it doesn't replace the old Grow and Green. There are things I like about the old Grow and Green. There's some micronutrients and things that you, that's not possible for them to add to their new one. But uh, like everybody else, sometimes I don't care for that smell that goes along with any manure-based fertilizer. And that's the thing about Medina's Dew 961 Growing Green, is it has no manures in it, so it has no unpleasant odor whatsoever. Very uniform pellets, makes it very easy to apply with a spreader. And it's great for your grass and trees and shrubs and ground covers and vegetable gardens and flower beds. It's just a great source of nutrition 
with an easy-to-handle product. And because it is higher in nitrogen, well, it's going to give you a faster green-up. But, of course, it is still uh, nice and organic. going to give you a faster green-up, and it goes much further. You, it goes about three times as far. In fact, if you figure out the bag's going to be a little bit more expensive with the new growing green, but if you figure out how much it covers, well, the cost is almost identical to the original growing green. Just a new thing for you to check out when you're visiting any nursery that carries good organic products, the new growing green from Medina. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and straight back to those phone lines. It's going to be Julie and then Clint. Julie is up first. Good morning, Julie. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, I uh, need the recipe to the orange oil uh, for uh, getting rid of weeds and ants. Uh, not going to, well, ants are a whole different, uh, thing from killing the weeds. So what, what kind of ants are you fighting with orange oil? Those cannibal ones, uh, fire ants. Okay. Uh, for fire ants, I will put about, oh, two or three ounces of orange oil just in a, uh, watering can holds about probably a gallon and a half. And then just go douse the mound everywhere you see them. Just pour it thoroughly over that mound. The ants will be dead in a couple of minutes. A uh, little small mound, it might take a quarter of the mix. A big mound, I may use the whole watering can on one mound. But uh, there is nothing more than just orange oil and water. Um, I would be reluctant to do that if the fire ants are in a pot because orange oil that strong could damage roots in a pot, but in the ground, I don't think it'll be an issue. Uh, if you've got them in pots, just make it a lot more dilute and recognize you may have to treat more than once. But that's the way you're going to go after the ants. Where you want to use your strong vinegar as a weed killer, then it's uh, one ounce of orange oil, or actually probably two ounces of orange oil, uh, to a gallon of strong vinegar. I would add to that about a tablespoon of molasses and uh, at least a teaspoon of liquid dish soap. And uh, that's that's going to be your mix. You want to pick a warm day. You want to spray the foliage of whatever you're trying to kill. You don't need to soak the soil. You just need to use it uh, to totally coat the foliage. And in most cases, the weeds will shrivel and die fairly quickly. So uh, a, gallon of or- a gallon of vinegar, two ounces of orange oil, uh, a tablespoon or so of molasses and a teaspoon or so full of dish soap. That'll be the recipe for the weed killer you want to make. Okay. Uh, and how much for the soap? Uh, just a teaspoon or so. It's just to, you know, make it stick a little bit better and make it go on a little bit easier. Okay. Um, in my little garden, I have, uh, <clears throat> year after year, I've had this problem with the white mildew on my cucumber plants and um yeah and so i've tried moving them to the other side of the garden and um can you tell me what i could use for that well the you can prevent that uh to a large degree by spraying with liquid garlic uh you can also prevent it by soaking some whole ground cornmeal in water and spraying the foliage of your cucumbers. What, what you're looking at is something called mildew, 
and it uh, the spores that create that float through the air. And so just moving to the other side of the garden is not going to take care of that problem at all. But uh, um, you can, if you start early in the season and either spray with a liquid garlic or, you know, or spray with the mix you make by soaking uh, the cornmeal in water and then just using the liquid from that to spray on the leaves, that'll pretty much keep the, the powdery mildew from ever getting started in the first place. Awesome. Okay, one last one, and it's about the nematodes. We've had all this rain, and um, can I go on and spray them like uh, this evening or tomorrow morning, and it is the ground wet enough for them to be able oh, yeah. to go down in? Or this is the yeah. this is a perfect time to be putting out beneficial nematodes. Just just couldn't be better. I think everybody around got a pretty good rain. I do it in the next day or two because you know South Texas it dries out pretty quickly. Uh, but this is the best time in the past year probably uh, to be putting out beneficial nematodes. Okay, for those ant mounds, also um, if you just spray the nematodes on that, they'll kill them. Ultimately, they will. But remember that a big fire ant mound may have a million ants in it. And it takes a little while for the nematodes to get around to picking off a million ants. So it's you're looking at probably a few weeks for the nematodes to kill out the mound. Um, in the case of vinegar, and uh, not vinegar, but orange oil and water, you're looking at a few minutes for it to kill the mound. The good thing is that with the nematodes... Uh, the nematodes will probably get the queen and you'll be totally rid of the mound with the uh, using the uh, orange oil uh, you'll kill thousands or millions of ants and just you hope that it got down to the chambers where the queen is so that you kill her sometimes the mound comes back usually I find if you soak the mound thoroughly it doesn't come back great okay and on that vinegar just plain white vinegar from like H-E-B the stronger, the better. If you're getting it from HEB, you will want what they call pickling vinegar. That's usually 9%. Um, your regular vinegar is about 4%, and that may get the most tender weeds, but it's not going to get the tougher weeds. Weeds. The 9% will get more. If you want the ultimate, then you go to a good nursery or feed store or something and get 20% vinegar. I know there's some places selling 30%. I don't like to go that strong because it gets caustic. You have to be very careful in handling 30%. Uh, but a good nursery or feed store is going to have 20%. Uh, this going to be it's going to get more things. So if you want to start with the grocery store stuff, just be sure you're getting pickling vinegar, not just the regular vinegar. Thank you so much for being here and helping us out, and I hope you have an awesome day. And I hope you do, too. It's going to be a beautiful Saturday out there, that's for sure. Thanks, Julie. Thank Appreciate you, it. You're welcome. Uh, let's go ahead and get started with Clint. Good morning, Clint. Good, good morning. How's it going? Uh, you know, it, it, it's all smiles when you get a good rain, and I uh, imagine you probably get a pretty good rain, too, like we did in the Hill Country. No, I'm not smiling at all. I barely got a half inch. Really? Well, I it 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 must have been between San Antonio and you, because there sure was a lot of red on that radar. But uh, giving us a good chance again next week, we'll keep our fingers crossed that it's your turn next time around. 
I'm hoping. I was crying seeing all that flooding on the 35 underpass by the downtown area. I said, oh, should have came my way. Uh, well, I, you know, it's, I, I've got a friend that calls it the, the Bernie split. He said those clouds come right to us, and then they split and go around us on either side. So I guess you've got the southern split going on sometimes. But it, it'll get you one of these days. I, oh, I have confidence. Oh, yeah. We definitely got the divine wall that's up there, about 30,000 feet or so. That just redirects you everywhere else. Well, it's uh, you got to believe your turn's coming. We just don't know when. Well, what's going on today? Well, my son was out in the garden picking kale and seen a whole bunch of bugs. He looked up. He believes they're aphids. Uh, remember you mm-hmm. talked about them? I'll never remember what to use to get rid of them. Almost anything. Soapy water will get rid of them. You can just blast them off with a hose. But they they tend to show up at the end of the season, and they're telling you that it's about your kale's about done for this year. So um, they're going to keep coming back no matter what you do because they sense when the sugar content changes, they know that kale's getting toward the end. And Malcolm Beck would have said it's just Mother Nature's cleanup crew coming in. But uh, you can kill them with spinosad. You can kill them with insecticidal soap. You can kill them with soapy water. Or you can just blast them off with a hose. Uh, if you want to, you can put out beneficials like the uh, ladybugs or praying mantis. Uh, all those things will go after them. But uh, they're they're announcing that it's the end of the season for kale when you start seeing them showing up like that. Okay, it's the first time we've done kale, and that's amazing how how well that does. Oh yeah, and it's cold hardy. You can plant it in the fall, and uh, you know many different kinds of kale. I love that. Uh, what is it, Lovato Le- or something or other? That everybody calls Dino kale, but uh, it's it's good a lot of different ways. It's good with your scrambled eggs in the morning. I have a friend that makes kale chips out of it, and they're better than any potato chip you can buy. So I think you'll probably be growing more of it next year since you found out how easy it is. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Now we uh, did broccoli too for the first time, and. Made a mistake of not uh, cutting that head off at the right time. That was one of the prettiest, strangest-looking bushy plants I've ever seen. <laughs> well, those yellow flowers will bring in a lot of bees to pollinate everything else. But, uh, yeah, broccoli, you've got to get it while it's still what they call a tight head. Uh, that's even more true of cauliflower. So, uh Yep, it's the first time you grow it, it will be a learning experience. What you need to know about broccoli is it doesn't ripen. The flavor doesn't improve just because, uh, you know, it gets older. You can pick broccoli at any stage that you like, and it's going to be delicious and nutritious. But uh, you let it go too long, and this time of year, sometimes it's just one day from that tight head to a bunch of yellow flowers. So uh, uh, leave at least one plant because it'll bring in... Uh, the bees and things that'll pollinate your squash and cucumbers and things like that, but uh, um, you you pretty much reach to the end of broccoli season, I'm afraid. Okay, well, I don't know if I'm gonna mess with that again next year. Kale definitely. <laughs> yeah, I'm now, with uh, you. Any luck, any luck with the folks with Nolo? I called we've, the company said we should we've, be shipping here soon, but they leave a message or email, they never get back to you. So yeah, any luck that's been. Uh, they're doing the same thing to us. Uh, I'll let you know. I'll let everybody know if we are able, but so far we haven't found it. And We've been one of their customers for many, many years, So, uh, but they're treating us the same way. Wow, that's not good. Uh, we're, we're talking to some other people, though, about hopefully 
I mean, anybody that, that has the equipment and the knowledge to basically produce any microbe, and they're making, you know, BT and BTI and things like that. I don't know why we haven't found anybody else to produce the uh, the NOLO, Nosema locustri, but um, we're still working at it. So, unfortunately, uh, you know, get your club and your birds out and, and go after the grasshoppers however you can. Now, if it does pop out and stuff, um, how long you said does that last in the freezer? Uh, a couple of years. A couple of years. I'm probably going to stock yeah. up if it ever does. Uh, you know, we will, too. <laughs> uh, quick question was coastal. Uh, yeah. How, how does that spread? Is that by runners or is that by underground roots? In different- uh, underground, underground rhizomes. Underground rhizomes. It's not really... Uh, roots, but it's rhizomes that are just below the surface is how coastal spreads. Do you want to cut the stuff that's already uh, ready for a hay, a hay cutting or just leave it alone and let it spread? What's the best way for that? Um, that's up to you. You have to remember the more foliage a plant has, the more it's going to dehydrate. So you don't want your sprigs to have real long foliage on them, but you want to have a little bit of green on there just to give them the ability to photosynthesize to get the root system started good deal all right well i appreciate your time appreciate your call clint get out and have a great weekend and uh you got to get my last break of the hour in here and i get to talk about wild birds unlimited i was out there last week got a great visit in with kyle and all the guys and gals out there i love wild birds unlimited you know it's both the store and the people there's just always something new in the way of merchandise in there wild birds unlimited products well all wild birds unlimited stores carry them and they are top quality but each individual store shops for their own gift merchandise and nobody does a better job of finding unique and different things and of course kyle and his staff are there to answer any questions you have about birding i Gosh, we got on to 10 different subjects talking about different things, and it's always just so interesting and such a fun place to visit. If you're a birder, you're going to find everything you need in the way of seeds, in the way of suet cake, in the way of feeders. Uh, the different feeders for different uh, birds makes a big difference. They've got the new hummingbird feeders with the built-in ant stoppers. And, of course, they have housing. Great way to keep the birds close to your house so they'll clean up a lot of the bugs for you. Uh, it's just fun always to go to Wild Birds Unlimited. They're located in that shopping center out there at the corner of Northwest Military and Hebner, kind of on the side that faces Northwest Military. Oh, I'd looked at some bird baths and fountains out there, too. Just absolutely gorgeous. Get by and see them. They're open every day to serve you. And if you have any questions, the number's easy. Uh, it's 210-479-BIRD. 210-479-BIRD for Wild Birds Unlimited. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Uh, Chris and Anthony are my next two callers. We'll get as far as we can before the time for Howard Garrett. Uh, good morning, Chris. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Uh, quick question for you. I've got some, uh, now I'm in Middle Tennessee, so just bear with me for two seconds here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went to high school in East Tennessee, so I I know uh, I know you're part of the world. Awesome, awesome. Well, my question is about beneficial nematodes and about trichogramma wasps. Okay. So so on Sunday, this coming Sunday, <clears throat> the temperatures are getting down to like 33. Mm-hmm. And the upcoming temperatures beyond that, 
look to be good, but can I apply today? Uh, Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. Okay. Now, okay. the trichogramma are actually a little card that you hang out. It's a little card covered with the moth eggs that have a little developing wasp larvae inside of them. But uh, 33 is not going to hurt them, and the beneficial nematodes, as long as the water isn't frozen, uh, you can certainly put them on, and uh, it's just important to put them on to moist soil. But, no, I would not hesitate to put uh, either one of those things on immediately. Okay, and then one, one other quick question. Um, the I've got two, well, I've actually got four pecan trees. Two of my paper shell pecans have leafed out, but my other two <clears throat> that I have that's been in the ground for, I think this is going on the third year, I have no buds that are swelling on it. I've scratched the bark. It kind of looks brown. Um, and and actually, the, that was one of my trees that actually started producing pecans for the first time last year. I got five pecans on it. So wow. I was excited about that. But well, you, work on spraying the bark. I mean, keep the bark moist. If anything's going to help with getting them the buds to break, if another two weeks go by and all the other pecans around are, you know, coming out and yours aren't, um, then cut back individual limbs by about a third. That many times will force them into breaking that dormancy. Okay, I'll do it. Well, thank you, Bob. I'll let you get to everybody else. Nor- north or south in central Tennessee? I, I'm in Lebanon, which is more yeah. east from Nashville. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my parents yeah. are both buried down outside of Cross Bridges, so uh, know the area. Oh. Well, listen, I appreciate it, and uh, you have a great weekend. We'll talk again, and let's get Anthony in here. Good morning, Anthony. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling. I'm uh, located out here in Holotus. Okay. um, I have a 16-year-old live oak tree that uh, was planted when we built the house. Mm -hmm. Um, I got two of them pretty close together, about 20 feet apart. Um, And over the last three years, I remember one year, the live oak that I'm uh, concerned about dropped all of its leaves. right in the spring and then um you know it grew its new leaves and then dropped those and then grew another set um, okay and ever since the leaves have been very small okay. um okay i'm gonna i'm gonna have to hurry here because we're getting close to news time you need to go to howard garrett's web- website which is dirtdoctor.com and look at what we call the sick tree treatment perfectly normal for live oaks to drop one set of leaves but if you've got new leaves coming out of especially if they're smaller that tree is in stress one one way or another uh exposing the root flare is going to be the first thing but uh i could spend an hour talking about it but go to dirtdoctor.com and look for sick tree treatment and uh we'll talk again when we've got a little bit more time everybody else it's just about time for our visit with the dirt doctor here on ktsa radio san antonio south texas gardening with bob webster is on the air talk to bob now 210-599-5555 well, good morning to the Dirt Doctor. Happy Earth Day, Howard. What's going on today? Today Earth Day. I believe today is Earth Day. I'm pretty sure. I think it's the 22nd of April. I uh, believe that's right. Well, every day is Earth Day for me, and I, I don't <laughs> keep up with that that much. There's a big event here in town that uh, more corporate-oriented, uh, so uh, we haven't been involved in it for uh, long time but the good thing around here is the weather the last couple of days yeah. has been incredibly wonderful 
It's the same way here, and we got that rain that uh, we'd been missing for a while. I had, I think most people around the area got at least an inch and a half. Some got more than that, and uh, I was doing some digging to put a couple more things in the ground, and boy, the, the soil was moist, you know, eight inches down where I was digging, so been a while since we've seen that it was it's just like you say it, this is why we live in this part of the world it's just just about perfect out there you you need a, a light jacket in the early mornings and then you're very comfortable for most of the rest of the day so great day for gardening and uh so what what kind of event and uh how are you how are you participating uh, what kind of event well, you were saying there was a big, a big something going on in town, and uh, is this yeah, something that you're a part of? No, we have nothing to do with it. It's ah, a okay. Kind of thing. I'm not very impressed with what they do, so we haven't been involved <laughs> in it in, in long, uh, well, since the beginning. We were we were involved a year or two right at the beginning of the thing, and then uh, they went the other direction. Have have very very little. Um, involvement by the organic uh, community it's it's um it's all we need to say just a little bit different approach. <laughs> yeah it is it's uh kind of like i saw a funny funny quote that was actually from jay leno and it's, it's getting to be political season down here and uh all the signs and all the all the rhetoric but uh he said uh, if god had meant for us to vote he would have given us candidates <laughs> i just <laughs> that was just one of the one of the funniest things I'd heard, and uh, oh, it's uh, there've been a number of of good quotes from recently. But golly, I wish we could get people that that simply cared more about the environment. And uh, I just can't believe people don't realize the impact that you can you can make on your own life and your family's life just by going organic and staying away from all the all the toxic stuff that's out there. But I know. We convince some people, and I think what most people, once they have tried the organic method, they don't go back, but it's just getting them convinced that it really does work, that sometimes is a challenge. And it's the most powerful thing you can do uh, as far as environmental stuff, plus it's fun, plus it's good exercise, plus it's more healthy uh, for individuals <laughs> as well as wildlife and livestock and everything else. I so uh, so, saw a good. An, Go ahead. We are having an event uh, coming up. We're having an open house here at, in our gardens and an, uh-huh. and an art show combined. And we're going to invite the Organic Club of America, so it's going to be an invitation only thing. So I know you have some listeners there that are members of the uh, club, but uh, it's going to be in about a month. It's uh, anybody may be interested in coming, uh, might just jot down that date, and it'll appear on DirtDoctor.com under uh, appearances here real real quick. We're putting the invitation together right now, but it's going to be May the uh, 26th, which is a Friday, I believe. Mm, okay. And it's gonna it's gonna be an open house on my garden, so you get to meet uh, you know the Nelly climbing. Well, you get to meet Nelly and Taylor for one thing. <laughs> yeah. And the Nelly climbing tree, the live oak, that has become pretty famous now. And of course, my my big uh, uh, ginkgo, which is the uh, the most special thing. And uh, the mo, I guess 
without question the largest Persian ironwood in, in Texas we have in the backyard and my collection of Japanese maples and all that stuff. But we're also having um, art, some of my outdoor art scattered around the house. I'm going to add a little bit more, but I've got two other artists coming in. One is a metal uh-huh. sculpture friend of mine. He's, we've already got the metal sculptures uh, up. We had a smaller event here a while back. And then another one of my buddies is a uh, wood creator, does beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, furniture and, and art from wood. So we got all that being together. And uh, like I said, it's for the it's going to be for friends here and, and for people that are members of the Organic Club of America. You can join real easy if you're going to be in this part of the world or already are. And uh, love it to have costs, you come by and uh, visit. Costs costs less than going to a movie these days, and you get you get to enjoy the benefits year round. And uh, it you know we a lot of years ago, and I guess maybe we'll do it again someday. But we had, in effect, we called it a Jackson Square night, and uh, we had uh, sort of the sidewalk artists and things that you see in New Orleans, and uh, various people came and showed off their work, some in jewelry, some in. Uh, um, you know, watercolor and all. And the garden is just the most incredible place in the world to have an art show. It's just uh, it's just very, very special. Uh, you, you just have to go to a good art show in a garden sometime to realize what a beautiful, peaceful setting it is. And uh, your yard would just be absolutely perfect uh, for that sort of thing. So it uh, sounds like the 26th of May is going to be a very special day around your neighborhood. Well, it's going to be fun. Looking, looking forward to it. It's make, it always makes me work a little harder to get some of the pieces finished <laughs> that I've been working on for a while, which I've gotten back to. But we've gotten, we've done some outdoor art. I mean, it's far outdoors, and I'll bring some of the indoor stuff too to mm-hmm. have out so people can get a get a good idea. But the main thing will be to see some of these plants that they hear. Uh, you and I talk about from time to time, and uh, talk some talk some gardening so we're looking well you you've certainly inspired a lot of people i i think one of the things that what people come and and talk about here at shades of green is uh i want to see that that kind of japanese maple that howard's growing and uh that it really has interested a lot of people and of course anybody that's seen the the fantastic trees and seen pictures of your ginkgo in full color uh, we, we actually have had a few ginkgos here at the nursery. They're difficult to find down here. We usually have to get them out of California. But as long as people have deep soil, it's amazing how well they grow and uh, and how trouble-free they are. And just that, that, that rich autumn color is just so gorgeous. But I guess talking about your outdoor event leads to uh, one of the questions that I was going to ask today. We... Various people have been coming in that are plagued with gnats out of doors. We've had a little bit of an issue, too. And I know how to take care of the fungus gnats, you know, and the houseplants and things, which is basically just a little bit drier and BTI if you need it. But uh, outdoor gnats can be, I was doing some weed eating the other day, and, you know, they're going into your ears and your eyes and everything else. What do you find the best repellent or the best way to limit the number of those critters in the landscape is? Well, we always recommend first doing sprays that don't kill because when you right. spray for something like that, you're going to do more damage to green lace wings and 
right. look on at wasps and various kinds of little bitty uh, helpful things. So the first thing I always recommend is either a garlic spray or garlic pepper tea. Uh-huh. Both of those function more as repellents than killing sprays. And that will give you some help. And then if you have to kill, you step up to the orange oil and the and the spinosad soap or just spinosad by itself and those those kind of things. But, I, you know, we still wish we could get the BTI in liquid form in a more yep. cost-effective packaging on the market. If people can afford to get some of that somehow or another, that spraying it would be the best thing to do. And that's one of the reasons why we need to get that on the market. Yeah, yeah. We, we talk about, we tell people about soaking either the mosquito bits or the mosquito dunks in water, yeah. and that's that's the only way I know of now. We keep keep trying to get somebody because you can buy the liquid BTI. It's just, you know, you're going to pay several hundred dollars for a lot more than you need. Garlic is always my my first go-to, but I just haven't had a chance to try that yet and see how it would work on these guys, but... I tell you, it's <laughs> they're one of those nuisances. I I don't dislike them as much as I do mosquitoes, but golly, when you're out there, you know, with a line trimmer, and as we have uh, fortunately had to do some with having finally gotten some good moisture, but uh, they're just, shall we say, a big irritant. <laughs> that and oh, yeah, I sure. I know that you know having your big outdoor event, uh, you probably do the same thing, but um, just I just wondered if you had any. Anything new or different, but uh, the the garlic is where where I always like to start, and you know even just spraying with the garret juice, I think, and you can add a little bit of extra garlic to the garret juice and get lots of benefits besides just insect repellency. Yeah, that foliar feeding benefit, and whenever the thing I'm recommending uh, more than I used to now is when you do garret juice spray, go ahead and drench. Mm-hmm. They spray real heavily the ground as well, and then you avoid that situation about uh, too much fertilizer going in the leaves versus uh, the soil and the and the roots. You know, probably the easiest way is what you mentioned is to take a handful uh, of the BTI granules or mm-hmm. crunch up one of the of the uh, floating donuts you know, to a five gallon bucket of water and let it just sit there. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Judy just handed me a note, May the 26th. Did I say the wrong date? She thinks I may have said the wrong date. The date, and it'll be on the website. It's May the 26th. It's a Friday. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, what I got down, 526. Yeah. Very good. Okay. But anyway, yeah, I think that's the best way to go. And then if you leave some of that BTI in the bucket after you've done that and sprayed it, you can leave it out as one of the traps right. in the garden for the mosquitoes. Isn't it? It's not foolproof, but it definitely is a productive part of your control program. Well, I'm knocking on wood when I say it, but we have not seen a severe mosquito problem, you know, yet this yet this year. And there's plenty of moisture around. I'm not sure, you know, why. It seems there there always seem to be cyclical. Some years are just horrible, and some years there aren't as many. But fortunately, this year they. They're not the source of people. People aren't complaining about mosquitoes yet. I'll just put it that way. We're starting to see fleas. We're starting to see uh, the various things that we can control with the beneficial nematodes. But uh, 
all in all, it's been a pretty nice spring so far, and it looks like it's going to continue for at least the next few weeks and uh, just be perfect weather for being outside and gardening or just simply enjoying. Absolutely, absolutely. Anyway, just want to throw that in. It's um, uh, it's a fun time right now. Everything is looking so lush. My uh, the viburnum, the uh, oak leaf viburnum that we've got, uh, oak leaf hydrangea. I mean, is yeah, starting yeah. to bloom better this year than I've ever seen. It's pretty interesting what plants are doing very well and which ones didn't bloom much at all. You know, we're still seeing mm-hmm. that. That difference in some plants that I think relates back to the last three winters, but uh, uh-huh. maybe most plants have gotten through that now because they sure are looking uh, pretty. The buckeyes are blooming beautifully, and a lot of things are in nice color right now. It's been a really an interesting year, especially if you go a little bit north up into the hill country. <laughs> Excuse me, it's amazing how pretty the wildflowers still are when down around our area they're pretty much bloomed out. But uh, uh, saw the other day, took a little drive up that way and saw like five different colors of paintbrush. You know, I've, I'm used to, of course, the, that standard kind of salmon orange and then there's a yellowish one, but saw a pure white one, saw bright yellow, light yellow, a rather vivid pink. I truly didn't realize how many different colors we we got out of uh, Indian paintbrush in our wildflower mix. But it, it's amazing how how slow things are to come out. We've still got pecan trees that are barely beyond bud break, and uh, it, it's been an extended spring. I guess would be one fun way to put it. In that we're we're seeing things happen over a much longer period of time, but still having to tell people, hey, don't give up on things that haven't totally come out yet. I'm telling people, especially on some of the perennials and things that are just slow to sprout back out, give them till Mother's Day at least before you start thinking about replacing because it's just been a very interesting year, and I guess it's the cool mornings and all that have just slowed them down. Yeah, I think so. Even our bamboo was slow to get started with its, you know, assault to try to come into the uh, garden back there. But now we've got the shoots coming up, and they're bigger around, bigger diameter shoots than I've ever noticed before, too. And they're growing sometimes, you know, a foot to two feet a day. And so it's really <laughs> critical <laughs> when when people have bamboo that they're trying to, to manage. I get a lot of questions about this because I have such a big forest of it and been yeah. working with it for so long. But when it's coming up like that, those new shoots, if you simply chop them off, kick them mm-hmm. off with your shoe or chop them off, I use a little hand mattock. Uh, a lot of times we're just a small sharpshooter spade and stab that thing where it's coming out of the ground. And if you can feel where the runner, the yellow runner is, chop it a couple of places and it shuts it down for the most part. You'll have some secondary growth coming up, that little... Sure you know, light stuff, and you'd have to remove it one more time. But it pretty much, if you do it on a regular basis, and that means doing some work pretty much every day when it's really actively doing that, you can keep your bamboo under control. Absolutely, and it's, it's I always try to think of it as exercise. And, of course, they, some of the varieties are really better at not spreading. Some of them, of course, and unfortunately some of the pretty yep. ones like the black bamboo, uh, that's one of the spreading varieties, but the Golden Goddess and Alphonse Carr and 
that's one that of course has the beautiful the canes can be variable in color and those stay stay much more manageable but like i say some of the prettiest varieties are still some of the old running varieties <laughs> and you it does take some management but uh i just do my best to think of it as uh, exercise rather than work and it's just for me it's fun getting out in the garden because it gives you a chance to look at things a little bit more closely and i find myself constantly having to tell people about bamboo it does not come back from the roots that's so many people you know think oh it comes back from the roots but you just have to teach them it doesn't come back from the roots it only comes out from that i don't know whether you call it a rhizome or what the proper term is and as long as you get underneath that and cut it uh it's done once and once and done it'll continue to try to spread but that's just uh that's just the nature of the beast but you don't have to dig a you know a two foot deep hole to get rid of it two inches is usually all you need we planted another little uh, Japanese maple, a dwarf Wilson's Pink, which is a, a new one that I've added to my garden. I just my latest uh, column that uh, goes on the website. I covered the latest Japanese maples that I've added, and there's some ah. really really fun fun ones. So check that out. They're all pretty small right now, but some of them are are pretty neat. One of them's called Oto uh, Hime H I M A. And it's one that grows, it's a dwarf, but it grows uh-huh. real fast. And it supposedly is one that's very, very easy to propagate from stem cuttings. So really? that's huh. one of the reasons I wanted to plant it. And it's one of those that has beautiful spring new growth. You know, it has mm-hmm. the multicolored uh, foliage on the new growth. So, yeah, Oto Jaime is uh, the name of it. The ones that just have Japanese maple, uh, Japanese names, I'm really bad at remembering them, but I'm really working hard <laughs> to try to remember them so I can tell people what they are. Well, I think most of the ones that I like are different varieties of dissectum, and somehow dissectum is an easy easy name for me to remember, and so many of those, uh, quote, waterfall types, but uh, they they're just interesting plants and you know they're not not native and they do take a little bit of i don't won't say they take extra work but you have to be a little extra careful in your site selection to be sure you're staying away from that hot sun and you have to understand how big they're going to get because some of them stay super compact and some of them get some size to them but what a beautiful plant and just uh you know a pretty time of year they're pretty most of them are pretty in the fall as well as in the spring and there's just not anything else that looks quite like them, and they're, uh, like I say, they're they're absolutely beautiful. And over the years, you featured a bunch of them on DirtDoctor.com, and uh, I haven't looked, but you probably need to do just as a collection or something like that with all the ones you're planting now. Well, the, if you go to the Japanese maple entry on DirtDoctor.com, all of my maples are there. And, okay. Uh, labeled and explained and everything, and... Uh, Maggie, who helps us with uh, various things I write, she's put the, uh, the last one into a, a form, and it's on the website now too. These latest ones, it was a we set it up as a, a column, but it it's going to mm-hmm. be added, and uh, they're all I don't know how many I've got now. It's over twenty something, <laughs> and uh, most of them are really good. One of them I'm excited about. In the past, I've had trouble with one Japanese maple. And, you know, for the most part, Japanese maples are an imported 
plant that behaves itself and acts like a native. I think they're just as tough as nails for the most part. But the only one I've ever had any trouble with keeping alive is the coral bark maple. Uh-huh. Right. And I love right. it. I, I think it's just gorgeous, but I don't know if I had it in a space that stayed a little too wet or what it was. But anyway, it was recommended to me to try another one, another uh, cultivar. And it's called Sango Kaku, and it's supposed to be tough as nails. So I've got a, a new one of those planted. And if anybody has any experience uh, with that one, let me know. But because this is my first uh, time to try it, but it looks like oh. it's going to be a real, real winner. I, it sounds like you're doing pretty well on those Japanese names to me, Sango Kaku. I'll be mm-hmm. looking it's, for it's, that one. It's a beautiful tree. I planted a red emperor. It's one that, I, you know, it's fairly common, but I didn't have in my collection, so I'm just kind of trying to fill out the ones that I I don't have. The one that's really impressing me so far that I think will become a a staple is called Fire Glow, hmm. and I've got a couple. It was recommended to me to be a, an option over Bloodgood, you know, which is oh, yeah. planted ubiquitously. Uh, yep. But it looks good. It looks like it's going to be a real winner, too. But anyway, we'll have all those on uh, display for the open house. One, Yeah, I was going to say one more reason for people to put the 26th of May on their calendar. That uh, sounds like it's going to be a, a wonderful event. We'll have to have to look at look the downstream calendar and see where we're going to be around that time. But, uh, yeah, um, if you could come, it would be fantastic. And like you say, uh, if you're inviting the Organic Club of America, again, people who don't realize that uh, it's just not very expensive to join and you still have all the other benefits, uh, you know, of access to more things on the website. So I I find myself recommending it to people real often. And uh, it sounds like for people that haven't done it yet, it's just a a real good opportunity to do so. I I think you're going to have to charter a bus or something or other <laughs> your neighborhood's probably going to fill up pretty quickly uh, as far as parking goes but uh everybody everybody will manage one way or another i look, really look forward to that well very good uh yeah any other events uh one other thing when we've got time to talk sometime i'd love to know if you've kept up with uh, what's going on at the blue ranch whether they're making progress with uh a, a large-scale demonstration of agricultural, organic agricultural practices, uh, and uh, just wonder how that's coming and how your other consulting, because you, you mentioned you've been doing some more kind of large acreage cult, uh, uh, consulting recently, and that's that's always a good thing. Yeah, I've talked to the Blue Ranch people one time, but they uh, seem to have everything under control there. I need to make a visit there uh, at some point and, See what uh, see what they've done and see if we can help with anything. But we've got about got several. I'm not only doing about four ranches, but corporate headquarters now are calling and wanting consulting to add <laughs> vegetable gardens and orchards and things to their property, which I'm really excited about helping people. Oh do. yeah, we're helping nonprofits with some growing operations that they have and uh, working with. Uh, one that deals with uh, ex-military people that have had, you know, issues with drugs and whatever, and they're getting into gardening, so that's been fun. So, yeah, we're doing doing a lot of things along those 
lines and uh, looking forward to doing more of them. The most interesting one I've got is one of my ranches. They have gone into uh, having a lemur town, believe it or not. They've got little houses uh, and double fence enclosures because lemurs apparently when they get uh-huh. out, they're gone. You know, they don't hang around at all. But they're real uh, human-friendly and all that. I, I'm learning for the first time in my life about lemurs. But anyway, uh-huh. we helped with uh, one of those, the landscaping around uh, about 25 lemurs that are on this one ranch. Ah, it's most interesting. I'll be asking Dr. Kirby about that. Uh, lemur-friendly landscaping. Yep. Well, as always, Howard, we so appreciate you taking a little time out of your Saturday morning. And um, um, it's just uh, just always a pleasure, and we always learn. So you and all the two-legged and four-legged friends up there have a good week, and uh, we'll just continue this conversation next Saturday. Sounds good. You guys enjoy those healthy gardens out there, and we'll see you then. And do something special for Earth Day today, and um, just do, do everything you can to encourage other people to pay attention. And uh, we'll do the same, and uh, you guys take care. Thanks so much, as always. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me, Mr. Howard Garrett is the Dirt Doctor. DirtDoctor.com, best website on the Internet for things that really do work. And I know that Howard's up in the Dallas area, but... <clears throat> Just about everything you find on DirtDoctor.com certainly will be applicable here in South Texas as well. Uh, let's get a break in here, and um, then we'll see if we have time for a few more calls. I get to talk to you about the window source of San Antonio, and it's been such a pleasure getting to know Moses and all his staff. And you know me, I just love companies that do things right, especially in an industry where you've got a few good guys and a lot of people that are just out to make a quick buck. It's just nice to have somebody that I can recommend without hesitation. And uh, Moses has the experience. He has 10 years' experience in the industry, five years having his own business. He offers a true warranty with his work, in most cases a lifetime warranty, and it covers everything. You know, if you read the fine print of most companies, well, they're not going to cover things like uh, glass breakage. They're not going to cover the labor of replacement if necessary. Well, Window Source of San Antonio covers it all. Their windows and doors, for the most part, are made right here in Texas. They're absolute top quality. And he just wants you to get to see his work. They're doing a special right now with eight double hung. That means they open from both the top and the bottom, which is just absolutely great in our area. But eight double hung white windows uh, starting, I believe it's forty eight ninety nine. Really, really reasonable price, especially considering that it's... Uh, it's just you're doing it for life. Uh, they guarantee that. There are showrooms over in southwest San Antonio, and they always welcome your phone calls to uh, uh, just any kind of help that you might possibly need. Uh, the number is 210-879-4433, 879-4433. If you're considering window and or door replacement, I sure hope you get a bid from them. I think you'll be really pleased and really as impressed as I am with the window source of San Antonio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Looks like we've got Cindy and Richard and Robbie. Cindy's first in line. Good morning, Cindy. Hi, Bob. I have a Mexican sycamore that's not leaking out very much. Is that normal? 
they are slow this year, especially where they weren't getting much moisture through the winter months. Um, I All the ones that I've looked at, and I was wandering, I got home a little early yesterday and was wandering up and down my creek where I've got a lot of them coming out naturally, and they are definitely slow. Um, okay. it, the good news is that the ones that I've looked at, they're leafing out out toward the tips of the limbs. Um, I would be a little concerned if the only growth was along the trunk or the very basal part of the limbs. But where they are putting on leaves well out on the limbs, I don't think we have anything to worry about, especially if you were in an area that got a good rain this week. It's just cool. It's been dry, and things are just slow coming out. It's been a very unusual year. I know we say that almost every year, but this one's been a little bit different thing, so we haven't seen before. Well, mine has leaves at the top, but mm-hmm. and it's grown a lot. But maybe it's just the weather because it it maybe it didn't get enough rain or something. But I watered it, I fertilized it, so I just didn't know if that was normal. I'm concerned, but at least it has some good leaves at the top, and it seems to be well. It's I'm, just slow. Yeah, I'm virtually certain. Um, lower limbs, if they haven't come out in a couple of weeks, you might just tip them back, cut them back by up to a third. That that concentrates that hormone, that auxin that makes the leaf buds start to sprout and grow, and sometimes that will just kind of kickstart them, but I think they're all going to be fine. I, I And it probably the cool mornings, I think now that we've had a good rain uh, with uh, here we've just passed Easter, by Mother's Day I think we'll be seeing a big difference. Okay, thank you so much. Well, you are certainly welcome. Thank you. Uh, let's keep going here and uh, get at least one more call before we take our last break. Let's talk to Richard. Good morning, Richard. Hey, Bob. My tomatoes and cucumber plants took a beating with the hail that I got along with the 3.17 inches of rain. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Anything I can do. I was thinking maybe some Super Thrive because there's like not completely broken um stalks but you can see where the hail hit the hit the limbs if anything is not completely broken if you can support it if you're growing them in cages there's not a lot to do other than just kind of wait and see you'll know within a couple of days the ones that are broken too badly to come out Um, the nice thing about most tomatoes is they will branch they have the potential to put on a great deal more growth in blooms. Uh, cherries, I'm not going to worry about at all. Big fruited tomatoes, it probably will set back your back your production somewhat. Um, I, I would look at, at squash and cucumbers. Both grow so quickly. I would look carefully at the plants, and it's certainly not too late to just you know plant a plant a new set of seed if you need to, because those things will be up and producing within six to eight weeks. So uh, on those, I would. I would just take a close look at them and see. Unfortunately, they don't branch much, so if the if the individual stems are too torn up, uh, you probably just and you may be able to just stick some more seeds right in the same area where the original plants were coming up. But I, I would definitely get a few more plants started one way or another because uh, they they would probably have suffered more damage than the tomatoes. Is it too late to put? New tomato transplants in? Do I have to wait till July? Uh, no, you can certainly put uh, new transplants in. I would focus on the cherry tomatoes, the small fruited tomatoes, because those are, they don't 
have that resting period, so to speak, in the summer. Your big fruited types, when the night temperatures get hot, they stop setting fruit. They'll go on blooming, they just won't set any fruit. The cherries don't do that. You should be picking cherry tomatoes every day of the summer. And uh, if you go ahead and plant some more of the large fruited varieties, who knows? You know, we may get we may get cooler nights in August. Some years we do. And uh, you'll be ready and you'll have nice-sized plants when the nighttime temperature uh, hits the right point for the fruit to set. Just don't expect a whole lot of fruit set until we get into the fall on large-fruited tomatoes. But the cherries won't miss a beat. They'll, they'll go right on producing. All right. Thank you much. You're sure welcome. Appreciate the call. Thank you. All right. Let's get our last break of the show done, and then we'll come back and see how much time we have left. I get to talk to you about Sam Sitterly and Green Grow Organics. And that's always such a pleasure because Sam's the guy that does things organically, always has uh, 30 years of experience. He knows what's going on, and he's, well, is about as close as anyone can. He's pretty much seen everything with all the different weather over the years, all the different strange patterns. And if you are like most people saying, gosh, I just don't know what's going on with my grass, or I just don't know why this tree is doing what it's doing, wish somebody would come out and take a look at it for me. Well, Sam's the guy you need. He's uh, been a consultant for a lot of years now. And like I say, everything he does is organic, so he certainly has my approval. And uh, he and his crews, they well, they do some uh, compost tea application, some fertilizing and all. But basically, he just wants to help you understand what's going on in your landscape and just know how to make the very most of it. It's been a weird year, seeing lots of things we've not seen before. And like I say, if you'd like somebody that will come out, I'll just give you a listen to you over the phone and tell you what he thinks it is. Sam actually comes out, inspects the property, and gives you the help you need. Check out his website, which is Green Grow, spelled out G-R-O-W, Green Grow Organics. Uh, if you sell, if it looks good to you, set up a consultation. Be sure you understand any charges up front. But uh, he can probably answer your questions and help you a great deal. A lot of people I know just haven't set up a standing appointment for them to come out once a quarter or once a month, depending on sometimes if it's a new landscape, people want to see him a little bit more often. But he also just works with folks who call as needed. Uh, again, go to greengroworganics.com, get all the information you need, and uh, maybe you'll be like many other people we see that have changed his name to St. Sam because he's done so much for their landscape. Sam Sitterly, Green Grow Organics. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Well, we've got Robbie and Mike waiting, and I think just about the right amount of time. So let's go back to those phone lines. Good morning, Robbie. Good morning. How are we doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing fine. I hope you are as well. Well, I'll let you know tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> I just went earlier this week and ordered some uh, that mulch from uh, Site One. Yeah. I might have overstepped because I ordered 18 cubic feet. Cubic feet or cubic yards? Cubic yards, I'm sorry. You, yeah, you, you've got some work ahead of you there. Nice thing about it, it doesn't go bad, but... Uh, that's the equivalent of, uh, you know, three three dump trucks full. So uh, uh, you must have a lot of beds to mulch. Your landscape's going to love you for it, but... Uh, I'm trying to put it on my yard. Well, did you get mulch or did you get compost? Compost. 
Okay, okay, well, that's a big difference. I'm, I'm relieved you didn't get mulch because mulch has too much fibrous woody material in it. But, yeah, uh, the compost is, it'll do wonders for your yard. I just haven't had a chance to try it yet, but uh, I thought it was so smart. I had a caller tell me a while back that, because uh, we're talking about different ways to spread it, and I've always just used a, you know, a hard rake, a grass rake, flip it over and use that bar to spread it around but uh, one of them told me that he uses uh, his leaf blower and can manage to get it spread relatively evenly that way without quite so much upper body physical workout. Of course, up to a point, that workout's good for you. But uh, I thought that was a very interesting take on ways to spread it. So you might give that a shot, too, and see how it works. I'll, I'll try that. I'll try both and let you know. My question is, do I need to do anything to the yard before I spread it? No, no, absolutely not. It's uh, um, if you, yeah, it, it, I, the, the compost is going to go a long way towards suppressing that. If you have real tall weeds and you want to mow, it certainly wouldn't hurt to mow or at least weed eat the areas, uh, line trim the areas where you have a, um, where you have a, a weed issue, but it's going to do a whole lot to suppress that. If you are considering fertilizing, if you haven't fertilized, if it's time to fertilize, that would be one good thing to do first because when you put your fertilizer down, then put the compost on top of it, it brings in the microbial life that goes to work, so to speak, digesting the fertilizer and making it more available to your plants. Uh, it's not an absolute. If you put your compost first and then put your fertilizer on top of it, that's not bad. But given the choice, I would do uh, fertilizer first and then compost on top of that if it's time to feed. What about uh, using the molasses and the uh, uh, soil activator? It can, you know, you'll never go wrong with molasses. It's just a great microbial stimulant. Uh, in this case, I don't think it would make a lot of difference whether you put the molasses down first and let it work from the soil up or whether you put your compost down first and then spray it over it and let it work from the top down. Either way, it's going to really enhance the activity and, and give you even more benefit faster. Okay, because I have, I mean, my... My soul here has just gotten really, really bad. Yeah. So it just is what I need to, what I need to do first before I put that down. I'm just... Uh, I, I would basically, again, if you've got real high weeds, just mow them off. And if it's time to fertilize, put your fertilizer down. But other than that, just uh, throw a party and... I used to I used to call various friends and say, "Hey, the good news is I'm calling a meeting of all my friends that I think would like to fish and hunt on my property for the coming year. The bad news is the purpose is to haul hay." <laughs> and and you really find out who your friends are. I think uh, the same thing could be true. Call uh, call on everybody you know and uh, offer them, you know, ribs on the grill or something afterwards, but it's going to be a lot of work, but you'll you'll reap the benefits for years to come. Well, or deep compost or something. Uh, again, just don't try to do it all in one afternoon. And uh, uh, as always, call if you run into any more questions, Robbie. I appreciate it. Let's get Mike in here before we run out of time. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. I have this uh, Organicide Be Safe 3-in-1 garden spray that has insecticide, fungicide, and miticide. 
right that i've been using that i've been using on uh leaf curl of my mexican key lime tree uh-huh yeah and uh doesn't seem to affect it in any way shape or form any other item i could add to it to uh for that leaf well curl? the the leaf curling is do as much to anything as wet due to weather uh i doubt very much it is really you know, a problem that you're that you're going to control other than occasionally little leaf rolling caterpillar that gets down inside of them. I always worry about, you know, sprays like that, you know, doing doing harm to the beneficial life. But I think what you're looking at is more a physical condition due in part to whether maybe if anything I would uh, increase your fertilizing. I'd probably add a little bit of uh, Super Thrive, a little bit of Garrett juice to your mix uh because it just it doesn't sound like a fungus issue or an insect issue. It sounds like something more physical. And like I say, it may be weather, or it may just be that your root system needs a little help. Uh huh. Okie dokie. Let me try that. And don't Thank expect overnight's results, but watch your new right. growth. That's that's what's going to tell you. And I would think about doing that both as a root drench and a foliar spray. But uh, sure. I'd I'd be looking at uh, it. It, those agents rather than insecticides, miticides, or fungicides. And uh, I look forward to hearing back from you, Mike. You get out and enjoy this absolutely gorgeous weekend. And everybody else, I do thank you for joining me today. It's been a lot of fun, as it always is. Uh, Do get out and enjoy. Remember, this is Earth Day. Do something to celebrate and share with your friends.